0: Direct from the web, it's Billy Masters Live. And now, please welcome your host, Billy Masters. Oh, my God, we're live. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You will notice we are not talking to you from the studio today. We're talking to you from my sumptuous Fort Lauderdale abode. I came down to Fort Lauderdale because there were things. There were things. And, uh, oh, my God, see, you're away from a show for a couple weeks and you forget the format completely. Thank you, Monica. Today is Thursday, November 26th. It is Thanksgiving day and this is just a spontaneous Billy was sitting around saying what else do I have to do? Which ironically is what Big Mama Masters has been saying to me for the past two weeks of my running around like crazy. So I haven't spoken to you all since the Ed Asner double feature. What a great show that was. He's so marvelous. Um, And his, after we taped the shows, his son, Matt, who used to be married to Jules Asner, who is now married to Steven Soderbergh. See, so it's like six degrees of Soderbergh. Um, Anyway... His son, Matt, is a producer, and he is producing a benefit for the Ed Asner Family Center Charity Foundation thing. And they're doing a virtual reading of It's a Wonderful Life. And they've got all of these stars involved, like huge amounts of stars. Perhaps I'll tell you later. If not, I'll tell you next week. Um, But anyway, Ed Asner was a delight, and we had such great feedback. So since we last spoke... Our numbers have gone through the roof. Thousands of people watch every episode. We have reached some plateau on YouTube where now we're getting ads. We're not getting money. There's like cents coming in. But, you know, whatever. We're sitting here. So before, you know, I ended the shows and I planned on doing the week before Thanksgiving. That was the goal. And we had Eric Roberts booked, and we had somebody else booked. And Eric Roberts had to cancel Tuesday and was going to come in on Thursday. Meanwhile, the morning of Monday, I got a text that there were problems here at the Filth to Go Beach House in Fort Lauderdale, which is so, as you can see, so sumptuous. I don't know if you can see this. I've got a bowl of balls. As one does, we've got little driftwood balls, we've got these iridescent balls, we've got fuzzy balls, which typically I don't like. I would take a razor blade to those. So I've got balls, anyway, put the balls away. and then there's I don't know what else I can show you. There's this starburst photo, a sunburst photo. Uh, like painting, collage, seven-piano thing, very 70s. There's a Moroccan star, there's a fish, there's a zodiacish thing. Oh, there's so many things. I don't know what else I can show you. There's a wall. I don't know if I can show you this. I don't want to show you the work being done. But if you see, there is the wall of tchotchkes. And, oh, remind me before we end the show to show you the anchor at the top. All right. Anyway, that's enough about me and my house. Anyway, so there were problems here at the house in Fort Lauderdale. And I got this frantic call saying, you've got to get down here. Because there are things that only you can deal with. And I hated that. So this was at noon. And I was on a flight, risking life and limb to go to Florida, the belly of the beast known as COVID. And uh, I have been here for two weeks now, just cleaning and working and stuff, maybe a week and a half. So I am going to be back in Boston on Monday. Tuesday, we start a new series of shows for December. I think there's only six shows we're doing in December, and it's going to be Billy's 12 divas of December. I, can, uh, I cannot tell you our first diva, because she has not confirmed with me, but our second diva on Thursday, December 3rd, I guess, is Darlene Love, so that will be exciting. The first diva on December 1st, Tuesday, that is World AIDS Day, so we've got a special show hopefully planned. Anyway, so I was sitting here working and looking at posts on Facebook and I saw all of these people that were just sitting home and they were, you know, not necessarily feeling sorry for themselves, but just bemoaning that they had nowhere to go. They were spending Thanksgiving alone. And I thought to myself, well, I'm here spending Thanksgiving alone and I have lots of friends uh, spending Thanksgiving alone. So why don't we just all chat and uh hang out and just sort of laugh a little bit because really what else can you do? So, uh, (laughs) the first person I emailed was the first person I always email when I, when I have this idea and I say, who will play? And it's Charles Bush. And he's like, as usual, I am happy to play. And, um, he was the first one to get back to me as well. He's the first one in the studio. And so you're going from the warmth and glow of Fort Lauderdale to the ruby red boudoir of Mr. Charles Bush. Hello, darling. Hello, how are you?
1: I know, I was Joe. though, I've been on your show so many times. That I'm, if you're Ed Sullivan, I'm Topo Gijo.
0: I consider you Alice B. Toklas. <laughs> And I'll Gertrude be Gertrude Stein. Stein. Yes,
1: exactly. Okay. Well,
0: How well, are you? Fine. You know, I, I wasn't moaning or groaning at all. Actually, you know, I uh, you I were at, a, you, you wrote a, a really lovely perfect. thing about it that you were really okay with it, and you told the story about your aunt Lil.
1: Yeah, I've never really been a big Thanksgiving person. I yeah, I'm the sort of the cat that walks alone. Anyway, but, um, I had I used to go for I had a number of very glamorous. Thanksgivings when I, I was good friends with Joan Rivers, and I used to go yes. to her, her luxurious Fifth Avenue digs. And um, and it's funny, we, and I got to know her, and then she invited me and, and my uh, uh, partner at the time, Eric, and my sister for Thanksgiving. And I was kind of disappointed at first because, oh, I don't know, I thought Cher would be there. <laughs> so, you know, Barbara Walters, and it was all her, it was Joan's sister and her nieces and her, her you know, Business partners and her neighbors, and I was kind of disappointed. Then Eric said, "You know, don't be an asshole. How? What? We're we're family." So right, yeah, you know, that's was, in you know, the like, circle. I got, not, and, you know, yeah, and it was, it was quite lovely. Um, we did that for about you know uh, six years
0: until she died. But you know, I didn't know Barbara very well. I only met her once. What was she like? Her, her sister. sister, Barbara. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, um, she. I gathered that you know she was the beautiful sister, and she was the. Yeah the one who was gonna be the great achiever. And I guess she had, she was a, Was she a lawyer maybe or something or? Yeah. And, and she, she was beautiful, like- Beautiful, brilliant, Joan was sort of the, the schlubby sister, you know, who was always <laughs> de- desperate to get the parents um, uh, approval. But um, I guess by the time I met the sister, she was old and fragile and uh, rather, rather quiet, you know? Mm-hmm. so I didn't really, She'd make too much of an impression on me. I I think. Yeah, she, I
0: I found the same thing.
1: Life, I think, maybe it beat her down a bit.
0: Well, it's so funny. I I met her a few times backstage with Joan, and I just remember they were studies in contrast that Joan was so outgoing and she was very mousy, Barbara, and very meek and really kept to herself. But also, I wondered if I was in her environment if she would have been more outgoing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's possible. I mean, I, I, it probably was a bit of a complex um, relationship of d- dominance and submission.
0: Oh, which we know something about. Yeah. Um, so the last time I talked to you on the show, we talked about you were going off to film your movie yeah. in quarantine. You, Julie Halston, Margaret Cho. Uh, who else was in oh, it?
1: Like, uh, Grant- it's your whole
0: cast of characters.
1: Yeah, um Tim Daly. Oh. And, and then uh, one, just wonderful Broadway people, um, Andre Andre De Shields, Patrick Page, Heather McRae, Dee Hody, uh, mm-hmm. Kate Luffman. I mean, it's a oh. great game. yeah. Now, And they all really, really delivered. Yeah. It, it was kind of nutty. I mean, the whole thing came about so quickly. Carl Andrus, who's been You're my fabulous director. collaborator and dear friend, you know, for 20 years. And we co-wrote the movie, co-directed it, and, I, I, and I'm in it, and I'm in it. And it all was so fast, I mean, a year ago, I don't think it even existed as an idea. Really, I mean, was it that, was, that fast? That fast, wrote the script, have our, our one investor who financed it and, and, um, and then uh, hooked up with a, a very fascinating young producer named Ash Christian, who then a few weeks before we began shooting, suddenly d- died, suddenly, without any warning.
0: Was Uh, it COVID related?
1: No, you know, tell you honestly, it was. It's a little mysterious. We never really. I never found out exactly what what it was, but uh, he was only thirty five years old. So, um, but we. It was shocking, but somehow um, we didn't lose even a day. That he had a really excellent team of uh, co producers. You know, uh, people working with him who then Mm -hmm. jumped up and. And well, way. and
0: again, what people have to understand is when you do something like this, you've locked in, particularly at the beginning of the shoot, you locked in studio time that you have like X yeah. amount of days. You have to be very economical. So losing even an hour could be disastrous.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it was very, I've most indie films that, I, that I've been involved in, the shooting schedule is very tight, but it's about 20 days, 21 days. Uh, this was 15 days. And, and how many it, in studio? It was kind of nutty, nutty. And then we had all these, you know, very intense COVID protocols. We were, right. oh my God. I mean, we were tested so many, every three days. I just kept, you know, Q-tips up my nose just permanently, <laughs> you know. And actually <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it's a it was a different kind of COVID test. I've been used to the one I'd had where they stuck the long. The Straight well up, up, yeah. The, but this was—they just had this lovely woman. I never actually saw her face because she was always uh, masked. But from here up, she was very. It sounds was...
0: like people I've slept with.
1: <laughs> but they. I the... couldn't
0: identify them in a police lineup.
1: <laughs> well, she was very lovely, and 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 it was um, the test that they give you it was was rather erotic and and. Erotic and tender at the same time. really yeah. well, it just—it took the regular Q-tip and just very sensuously. 15 times just massaged, just the very tip of your knot
0: concentric circles or counterclockwise. Yeah, circles. If I loved it. I can me next, me next. You know, oh, I, I could just gonna, see the new your new book, Love in the Time of COVID.
1: <laughs> we had to do every, every three days. It was kind of nutty because we, on one, one hand, we, we were all being so careful, we always had to be masked and this and mm-hmm. you know, um, but then I, I, very sexy Tim Daly is my. Sexy. I end up the first day I met him. We, we were in bed together, and how you know, was he in unmasked? bed? Unmasked, yeah. So it's kind of strange because here I was, you know, in be- in bed with him mm-hmm. for about three hours, and when we got out of bed, and immediately had to put our masks on. So it was it was kind of a cookie.
0: Did you get to make out with Tim Daly?
1: I, um. I was I was caressing him and in bed with him and being it was it was quite wonderful. But in, in the movie uh he uh seduces Julie Halston and, and me separately. And nice. um and so he had me first and then uh then a week later he was in bed with Julie, and I got kind of jealous. I, I thinking, would hope so. I was thinking, I thought he was mine. And uh, <laughs> I had to give him a direction, and I was like, oh darling, you know. I think the next take, don't be so sexy. I think it's funnier if you're not sexy at all. You know, right? <laughs> um, or, you know,
0: maybe you wouldn't be as into Julie as you were into me.
1: I know. He's so nice. It was lovely, you know, but I, I just sit there just kind of sour. like, you know, I- so, you know. Well,
0: Julie had posted some videos from the set, uh, from coming like down that long staircase. Yeah, yeah. And she was getting the. Uh, this was when you were in the warehouse, and it just looked like it almost looked like you were like in a real studio. We you know, were. It was, we were. Yeah. Oh yes, no, and, I mean, it uh, looked so professional, the, fabulous. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No, it's just these beautiful new new um, uh, movie studios uh, in in Fishkill, New York. Called um, Umbre Where is that? Fishkill is about an hour or so outside New York City. Hour and a half. It's all like right. near Rhinebeck and. Can you just
0: say that again? You said hour and a half.
1: So. Yeah, an hour and a half. Well, oh, I was. Right.
0: You know, when you said it like you said it like you were in a play, hour and a half. You know, it was just like the cadence. <laughs> it was lovely. Anyway,
1: oh, all well, right. it, it was, anyway, I most indie films and certainly the ones that I was involved in were all shot on location and you do two days in a studio, which is part of a tax incentive thing. Sure. But, but in this case, because of, of the COVID thing, we, we shot all basically all the interiors in a studio. And it was very cool. It was like being in, you know, Warner brothers in 1932. And yeah. we had these very elaborate uh, apartments. Uh, we had two different apartment sets that were complete apartments with, Kitchen and bathroom, and it was really quite quite wonderful. And then we did um, five. And days
0: originally, out. weren't you supposed to do some of those apartments in actual New York City apartments? When yeah, well you yeah, I,
1: when Carl and I wrote the script, we it was before uh, the epidemic, the pandemic, and right. we thought, we thought to keep the cost down that we would actually write a story that we could shoot in in just peop- my apartment and other people's apartments. Right. Uh, and then all this happened and th- that seemed wrong so the whole thing was going to be shot on sound- soundstage and so much better too because I-, I can't even imagine having a whole crew in, in this tiny apartment. It would have just been awful. But we did shoot, like Margaret Cho's apartment in the movie. She's supposed to be a very high-end kind of tribeca loft kind of thing uh-huh. we f- found a beautiful apartment in um right near where the studio was in beacon new york and uh, mm-hmm. this painter it's, it's a beautiful apartment so we used that for that that set and then a couple Gosh. other places then then we shot five days in manhattan doing exteriors including oh. my own building uh, really yeah, it was it was kind of crazy, but yeah, it was it was really cool. I'm a, it was a fantasy. I've always had this fantasy, as long as I can remember, of wanting to um, to shoot a real wacky caper movie with lots of running around and in disguises and and shooting it here in 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 Greenwich Village where I live. I just mm-hmm. oh, it was a dream. And something, something there's Julie and I, and I'm in I'm dressed up in this. You know, Kind of looking like cappuccine or something you in know, 60s, drag. <laughs> and Julie's in male drag with a mustache on, and we're running down the street and uh, being chased. And it was, it was something I just always fantasized about doing. And, and yeah, and it
0: sounds or, like again, it sounds like sort of a film version of a Charles Bush play.
1: Well, kind of, I mean, it's not, a, it's not as, um, we're not, um, doing a parody or you know, a mo- homage specifically to any kind of movie genre like Die Mommy Die was. Uh-huh. You know, Early sixties um, uh, suspense movies. This is a contemporary movie, It's set set today, and um, but it, it it evokes a bit of the style of let's say some of those British comedies from the Elan Studios in the early sixties. Oh, uh, sure, yeah, yeah, and uh, like Make My Mink. I don't know if you, but it's just okay. kind of it, it's set in uh, in the milieu of um, very eccentric um classic movie collectors and i play this fellow jimmy who's um a rather disreputable uh dealer of um movie memorabilia and he stumbles across this reel of of a lost silent film that's so coveted you know Mm -hmm. by collectors and it's thought to not have existed and he stumbles Mm -hmm. on it and then Various people try to hilarity
0: steal it, ensues.
1: Try to steal it from him, and he has to steal it back, and yeah, hilarity ensues. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah it, it, was, it was ball, and working with all these wonderful actors who just were so thrilled, I think, to be working again.
0: Well, that's the thing—is you, know, in a way, you've got a captive cast. Well, literally, had a captive cast. Yeah. Well,
1: there were, people you know what. That- uh, I was just gonna we say were, that we wouldn't have gotten if the. If oh they, really? Well, because they, well, they, they were now they were available. Shows. Sure. They were in Broadway shows, and now they were available.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you you mentioned "Make My Mink." Uh, this has nothing to do with you, but I have a story apropos of "Make My Mink," which I've never told. Um, I have, and who doesn't have a "Make My Mink" story? <laughs> wow. So I I, <laughs> uh, I don't want to say who, but there's a member of my family who's married, a male member of my family, who's married to a female, a very close family member. And they were over our house for Thanksgiving, perhaps, or Christmas. And we've always thought that the male member of the family was gay. He was very light. He was very persnickety. He had all the Barbara Streisand albums, all the original Broadway cast albums, had a poster collage of Betty Davis. But, you know... Married as one did in the fifties or sixties. Right. Yeah. And so he comes over to the house for dinner and with his wife and my mother is making dessert, you know, serves dinner. We have dinner, we're having dessert and he's not having dessert because this week I have given up sweets <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but he's married <laughs> to this woman who is, you know, slightly rotund one of my favorite relatives but slightly rotund and at a different at a moment he turns and says to my mother would you mind if i excuse myself and go to the tv because tonight they're showing one of my favorite movies make my mink (laughs) at which point his wife took another slice of cake (laughs) (laughs) And to this day uh, Has never come out They're still married But I'm like, okay, really?
1: (laughs) And I guess, you know Some people made very good marriages I mean, it's it's strange But I guess, you know
0: You know, know, I think that I think a lot of people were in marriages Like that, particularly of an earlier generation And were married to, say Their best friend and that worked, and that's an arrangement. Yeah. And uh, yeah. sometimes I wonder, being married to one's best friend is kind of what we all aspire to, in a sense.
1: Yes, I think so. I, I mean, I, to me, I guess I don't know the the dream love, dream husband would be someone that I was wildly attracted to, had lots, and of could of
0: watch make my numbers. mink with.
1: Yes, and I had a lot in common with, had a similar frame of reference who I really could be great friends with. I mean, that, I guess that's hard to find.
0: Have you stayed friends with exes?
1: What, have I stayed friends? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yes, actually. Um, Well, Eric Myers, who was my partner for 23 years, mm-hmm. you know, we um, uh, had the most amicable kind of uh, breakup. We, I think... You know, we never lived together. It was always, you know, a bit of an eccentric situation. But um, I think we, we, at a certain point, felt that we were being kinder to our friends than we were to each other, and and then maybe really? we'd be nicer to each other if we were friends. And and we've stayed friends. And he's, you know, he's very close to my sister, and and uh, he's a wonderful, per- wonderful person. So. Did you
0: become kinder to each other when you stopped the romantic relationship?
1: Um, I mean, I don't, we don't see each other as often as, even though we live in the same city as that one would think, but we, you know, we go to the movies sometimes and we get together and we talk and he's very, su- we're very supportive of each other. He's, his career, actually, he became much more successful after he broke up with me. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, so I don't know. What, what, what How nice
0: that? for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's doing great. Doing great. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you, you know, I'm always curious because in my case, um, the people that I've missed being in a relationship with, I end up missing more the friendship and the camaraderie and the things you had in common more than the romance. And I I wonder if that's the case for a lot of people.
1: I don't know. but one of the great things about our relationship was that um, I think we found each other kind of endlessly fascinating. And he um, he had so his, he has so many interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know i'm so i'm kind of a one focused kind of guy you know my it's me it's just been you know the theater film whatever you know my my career my work creative life but with with eric uh he's as interested in um old movies as he is with uh architecture as he is with operas with mm-hmm. a number of uh, He's part of the Wooden Roller Coaster Enthusiast Society. So, really? Yeah. And, and I would always. so That's it was, fascinating. And it was always interesting for me. every Anytime I was with him, you know, and I asked, what did you do today? I really wanted to know because
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was something interesting. You know, he would take trips to, um, you know, and it's funny. I never learned my lesson ever. He He would, because he's. He's written books on Art Deco and uh, 30s Art Deco. He he would sometimes go to sort of undeveloped cities like Tulsa or Kansas City that had not had big urban renewal projects where they tore down all the old buildings to create. So they're Mm
0: -hmm. still existing.
1: Yeah. And so they were kind of slightly depressed cities, you know, but they, he he could see all sorts of wonderful things. And and he would ask me if I'd want to go with him to Tulsa or Kansas City. I said, that's all right. And then he'd come back, and I'd you know, be kind of smirking, and, yeah, you know, and how was it? What did you see? And then he started just saying, oh, well, you know, we went to this old vaudeville house, and they had all this oh, I love backdrop, that. and we saw the ropes and the things, and the, and oh, really? And he goes, yes, and I went to the birthplace of Vivian Vance. You did? And, oh, the <laughs> so wonderful. And I thought, damn, I should have gone. And I never learned my lesson. Every time there's the same thing we played, mm, I don't think so. And he had a wonderful
0: there's a great website. Uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's Forgotten Cinemas or Forgotten Theaters. And it has you know people who have, are devotees of those old theaters and pictures of them when they were in their heyday and then what they look like now. And I think to myself, I love going into old theaters. one of my favorite things in Europe in particular. I love doing that. Well, and I think
1: actually what's, what seems to be happening over the past uh, 20 years is that... Um, a number of these places that had been in uh, either turned into you know shopping malls or rehab right. or swap of
0: shops, yeah. But
1: now, now yeah. they're actually being restored to their former glory and turned into an art mm. center. And yeah. yes, that that's happening more and more. Yeah, if I love down that. Down com- completely. They, yeah, man. There's a. Um, I'm fascinated by a, a movie theater that was right, evidently. Um, Around the corner from me here in, in in the West Village, where there was a Lowe's Sheridan, that was oh. w- big old movie palace that was one of the theaters that that Edward Hopper, the painter, used to use as model for some of those famous paintings of the you know the mm-hmm. and um, it was torn down in '69. And I think I actually, as a kid, s- saw a movie there. You know, before oh, before wow. it was. And I've, and and this is kind of kind of funny. I don't mean, know. It probably says about my lack of curiosity, but you know, I'm fascinated by this theater. And and you know, and I see the space where it was, you know, uh, um, the block that's now a uh, AIDS Memorial Park. And I keep wondering. Oh,
0: okay, I know where.
1: Yeah, and I keep imagining where would the it seems awfully small for the big movie palace, and where would be the front? Where was the front? And where? Little did I know, there's outside my door. On my floor, we've mm-hmm. got, old, got old photographs of Grand Village. And literally next to my front door, you know, is a photo of Lowe Sheridan. And I have so oh, looked. wow. I'm such an asshole. That and you never noticed. For years walking, I've just never <laughs> looked at the, at the photographs on my floor. I've lived, they've been up there for 15 years. And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I to keep my eyes open.
0: Yeah, know? I know what, well, you know, it's again, it's probably something you pass by every day of the last things you notice. Yeah. Uh, we have so many yeah, yeah. From people. Fun. Uh, she, she, LaRue, happy Thanksgiving horse. She, she, I sent you a link. Come and join us, please. We would love to see you. Uh, John McDonald tells us I dressed D Hody. Look, I don't need to know about your sex life. John. McDonald. <laughs> um,
1: a wonderful actress.
0: Kenny, she is, isn't she? Kenny Moore's Happy Thanksgiving. Jerome Cleary, Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, Lovely people. Uh, oh, uh, John McDaniel, uh, McDonald knows, has perfect skin. Charles, you have perfect skin. Not, not bad,
1: not bad. I must say, the thing with this um, Zooming is, yes. is that I get Lighting,
0: to, uh, it's all about lighting. I've
1: got this, you know- Zoom light, you know, ring light going on. Oh, the on. ring
0: light, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I, I find I get distracted by my own beauty. <laughs> I'd
0: largely, I, I
1: was posing. And there, there was a, a reunion of, I did a Zoom reunion with all these people who went to summer camp, with theater camp with me, and I hadn't seen them How all. How old
0: were you when you went to theater camp?
1: Well, let's say, you know, 14. And oh, wow. Yeah, so we had this reunion, and there were, oh, God, like 20 squares, of zo- zooming and i don't know i i, I just found myself just, just sitting back just <laughs> preening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> terrible <laughs> so, what, what'd you say what'd you say oh oh yeah,
0: yeah. well you know if anybody takes us uh still at least it will be one way you look good every once in a while i'll find myself doing this uh, i'll do I- i'll take the marilyn may pose hello <laughs> And then usually if I'm not into it, I the sides of my face go down and I'm like this. It's like a stroke victim. Alone. So <laughs> I try not to do that.
1: Well, and invariably, somebody does do a screen capture. Where you're like,
0: oh, uh, you know, ev- the worst part of these shows, every single show is I have to come up with a thumbnail for each show. And yeah. to find one where everybody looks good, sometimes I fudged because it's an impossibility. Yeah. yeah um. Did I just did I read? You know, the it's so funny. You would think like I couldn't just pick up the phone and talk to you any day of the week, but I don't. But I we we will text with each other or email with each other. I haven't talked to you about it. You finally finished your memoir. I, 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 I don't know if I
1: did or not. Really, I, <laughs> I don't know. know, I, mean, I tell you, my problem is. See, I'm not. You know, I don't really see myself as a prose writer. You know, I mean, I. And so, in my in my direct field, which is playwriting, mm-hmm. and even acting, I'm I'm kind of fearless. I'll just, you know I I, oh, I yeah. just try anything, and I and I and I'm pretty sure of kind of sure of what I think I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But in, in other disciplines, I don't know what you want to call it. You know, I'm yeah. just so I'm as insecure as anybody else. And 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 so uh, with this book, which I've been working on for about six years or so, off and on. I, I listen to the last person I talked to, and so if somebody reads it, you know, I give it to somebody to read, and they say, "Oh, I think it, is, the whole thing should, you know, be blah 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 blah." Well, oh, yeah, okay. Then I go back and I rearrange it, and so I don't, you know, so I don't know what I have. I I've got a wonderful new um, literary literary agent who's trying to mm-hmm. try to find a publisher for it. And
0: uh, what is the feedback
1: from the literary agent? Because I would trust them. Uh, he really likes it but we 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 just you know um we we submitted it to a very 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 um prestigious editor imprint yes and uh, was, i i was shocked that he got to over there. great friends and and anyway she um had all, uh, all sorts of you know suggestions and and thought i should kind of go back to the the drawing board a bit. And for when I first read it, I was, you know, just like, you know, oh and uh, then when I calmed down the next morning, we read, I thought, Oh, that's actually pretty, pretty smart. And, uh, and he and I just spoke on the phone yesterday and, and I'm actually kind of excited about going back into it and, and doing more work. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's new for me. I, I this is not, I haven't written memoirs before. So no, it, I
0: know that. You Although know, I, you've written great short stories that are personal, well, you know, does that help? Well, Facebook
1: has been this very great help to me, that and you I, had
0: that essay published. Where was it in New Yorker?
1: The yeah, New Yorker, well, Yorker, right. A, a chapter from my book. That um, okay? Oh, it
0: is okay. Well, Tom that was Jud- great
1: Tom Judson, who's uh, you, you you know very well. And, you know, he's you know most fascinating person. He's my mu- musical director for my cabaret. Act, you know, and mm-hmm. he's great porn, porn star and I mean he's just fascinating composer, musician, yeah, musician. builder.
0: I mean Yeah.
1: Anyway he um uh, um he's thought that uh the the one chapter that I've written that we it could be fashioned into a standalone short story essay oh. and he knew someone who knew someone who knew someone at the New Yorker and I usually that never pans out at all. I've had exactly. that exactly well, rather humiliating, actually. But uh, anyway, I did what he said, and he helped me kind of hone it in shape. And anyway, it was published in The, in the New Yorker uh, last August. And that was just unbelievable. I, I couldn't, I really, I still can't quite believe that I had a story in The New Yorker. It was thrilling.
0: You know, it's, it's funny. It's- I, uh, I've i been working on a personal writing project as well. And I, I read Tons of autobiographies and memoirs. And the one that struck me as one of the most successful was Andrea Martin's because each of them were standalone short stories that were really self-contained and overlap, and that way it's more of a collection of anecdotes.
1: Well, I think a lot of people are doing that. I think Tina Fey and I think Lena Dunham, that seems to be, kind of the trend and I'm thinking maybe well I will see I, I did that you know I I one of the versions of this book I did do that and then I gave it I gave it a Tom Judson and uh, he, again and he said that uh he thought that, that there was a lit a linear memoir in there that was kind of struggling to come out and I thought maybe he's right. So then I spent another seven months filling and in
0: fully adapted that, it right yeah
1: to make it a linear thing but now it seems that maybe, maybe that's not the way I should have gone. So I don't know. But I may go back sort of to the earlier version, and but but I've also learned from from doing the linear version. There are things that I can take from that that, that were very oh, sure. very helpful. And but but uh, I think one of the things I was a little worried about was was being kind of nasty, you know, and sort of in tell, what way? Well, in just the- telling stories about people who are still alive who um you know were difficult but they're true. to yes difficult in to work with or various things and I, I guess as. I didn't really like to do that. And that's not really and you know, I'm not really a, a cunty person, you know, I'm I'm really <laughs> kind of not, you know, and yeah. and sometimes I've been I, I think I've actually disappointed people at times, particularly earlier in my career where when um I think I was introduced to people who thought assumed because of my drag persona you know, on stage that, that in real life, I was going to be this very, you know, dog, I can start person who's, you know, just, you know, with the happy, snappy comebacks and, and insult thing. And I'm, I'm, that's never really been my thing. And even in my plays, you know, I don't really do insult humor.
0: No, you're snappy, snappy yeah, comebacks and, and crisp.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and so, and often I found back in the day when, when I would meet people like that, they would try to engage me into a kind of a, you know, insult thing. And, and I don't know, I just start, oh. <laughs> my feelings are kind of hurt. Yeah, so that's just not who I am. But, but I do think there are. You
0: know, are there stories that are that, stories? like, you know, story that, you know, you feel is really germane to your story that you'd like to, that you may like the person, but they don't come off looking particularly good in it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean those are the kinds of stories yeah. that, but see that's see again if it's if it's somebody you're genuinely affectionate to but it's just not positive towards them I don't think that's cunty.
1: I think there's a way of doing it too i I yeah. do think there's a way of everything is context as they say and and I think there's a way of that explaining how this pers- this person, uh, may have behaved badly, poorly. and it, but it also is because of the stress they are under. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, so or what do you have any I'll example say.
0: you could use? Any example?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I've never really talked about. Um, you know, I wrote the, the book to uh, the a new at book to the musical taboo, which had been a big mm-hmm. big hit in London. And then Rosie O'Donnell produced it in New York on Broadway and brought me in to write a new book to it. And it was, you know, kind of one of the major Broadway disaster flops of. Uh, and there's
0: a great documentary played. about it that people should see. About yeah. the four musicals that were new musicals that yeah. year. I a lot the of that. That taboo though
1: in it because you know one of the problems there was that Rosie was going to make her own documentary and she
0: had the cameras oh. going
1: during and then um so she so she didn't want this other production team to be shooting the same footage that she was going to right. make herself you know and then but she the problem there was just that none of us were going to be very honest because you know knowing that the boss is looking at all the footage each night right. You know, you know, and and it was so fraught with the drama that she realized that really all she had was kind of a puff piece. So consequently, she never did her documentary, and and so our participation in in their that outside documentary was rather minimal. It was mostly just. Followed- oh and Morton around town so uh yeah which was so
0: tragic I remember watching that I watched it recently when COVID began and I just remember being heartbroken for Ewan because at that point he's basically being deported he has to leave and and Raul's frustration through that whole thing which I remember vividly because I remember meeting him I was with David Drake. We went to a preview and we saw him at Joe Allen's afterwards. And I thought he was brilliant, Raul. And I went up to and him, told him. And he just was so frustrated. He yeah. just let out on us. You don't know what we've gone through. And we had this. We had I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, it was
1: it was just awful. I mean, it's really up there at the most miserable experiences of my entire life. To be quite honest. And I, and I, I
0: hate to laugh. I
1: I mean, it's up there with my mother's death and my heart surgery. Is one of <laughs> the most, <laughs> most pleasant moments of my life. You know, and uh, yeah, there was oh a few years ago there was a ten year reunion at fifty four below of people getting up and doing songs from it, and I was invited. I was like, No, thank you. And I, I just, did Rosie go? i Did she actually go? I'm not sure she did. But I, I I the thing is, you know, she really was the the fall guy in a way. I mean, she, people just were, the critics were so going after her. And and I like her. I I came out of it. And she
0: was being sued at the time about the magazine. So that overshadowed everything.
1: Yes. And so she was under terrible stress. And she, I think, just everything. And uh, she was in an impossible situation. And so... You know, and she's a tempestuous personality mm-hmm. but I out of the whole thing I, I say I, I really like her she's like she's a great person and uh and she treat and and honestly she treated me beautifully you know oh, yeah. so, but but yeah but she, you know she's un, a, a complicated uncensored person and her her enthusiasms are are epic and her anger is Epic, epic. epic, epic <laughs> uncensored, and so. But she's on the other hand, she's exactly on the level. I mean, there's nothing mm. tedious about her at all. It's just, yeah. So, but so yeah. So I mean, I, I you know, I could write about, the, you know, I never wrote about it because I didn't. So I didn't wouldn't want to hurt her because I i really like her. But I, I she's. I, yeah, I, don't I think know. there's a way to do that. And I think she's pretty honest with herself too. I I, I think maybe I would. If I did write a chapter about it, I, maybe I would send it to her and ask her if, if there's anything in it that she uh, that, you know, she'd rather me not say, but I, and I bet she wouldn't. That's a good way to do it. Yep. She, she's so uh, direct. I, I don't think she'd want to be um, sort of, you know, uh, smoothed over and all that. Boy George, on the other hand, I, you know, is not one of my favorite people. So uh, I guess I wouldn't feel that bad about it, talking about how impossible he was. Yeah.
0: Was he impossible? Because I felt that Rosie was so in awe of him that she couldn't wrangle him the way she should have.
1: He, he meant um, a great deal to her. You know, I think growing up, this, this right. sort of lonely gay gay girl in Long Island, he represented uh, kind of a gay identity and being who you are and, and all sorts of things and and very talented. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think that she was... Maybe perhaps a bit intimidated, yeah. And then also in possession too, because you know she, as a producer, I mean, at one point he, um things were kind of moving moving along, and we just had we we're uh, we we're in almost final previews. And there's and and there are there while you're in previews, you can still rehearse the uh, the cast during the day if you need to put in last minute changes. But the union actors' equity allows just certain hours because you know they're performing at night; they can't just be rehearsing all day. Sure. You know, all day all the time so there's certain hours that are allotted that you can do these changes and so you have to be very careful and think okay we have to what what is on our list of things we absolutely have to do and so you you have to parcel them out Oh, the last number into the show needs to be worked on so that we'll use that you know but anyway so things are kind of working out moving along. okay then suddenly george announced that uh that he hated the whole ending of the first act which was actually i think one of the more successful parts of the show and mm-hmm. and we, and we were you know boy, it was it was kind of a crazy show for the people who didn't know it because it was it was about the uh, boy george's early days in, in the
0: london club scene club
1: scene and the two main characters were were the young boy george and then this fascinating performance artist designer lee Bowery. Boy George was, play, the real Boy George was playing Lee Bowery and this very talented young actor, Ewan Morton, was playing the young Boy George. So anyway, but, uh, and we were being very careful that we did not want to present Ewan as a, a Boy George impersonator. That right. we wanted this character really to be just a real character, you know. That you And so we were very careful about that. Well, George just was adamant that he just hated the end of the first act, and he came up with his own scenario and he's not a writer and it was just awful. And it totally presented you. And as a, it suddenly turned into like a mega mix of boy George hits and suddenly Ewan was a boy George impersonator. And so, oh, yeah, and I, you know, and it was awful. And I said to Rosie, I said, you know, I I could try to do it, but it's gonna, You're not going to like it. And she said, well, right. we're in a terrible problem because he won't go on stage. He was like, just like, you know, and just, uh, he won't show up unless we do this. And I went to him and I begged him. And he's just like this intransigent sort of Buddha. And so uh, anyway, so I, I said, okay, I'll do the best I can, but it's not gonna be good. And I, I tried, I did the best I can, but it was mm-hmm. really loud, you know. And then we so we use our remaining hours with the cast to put in this ridiculous thing, and and we're stuck. That's it. There's no more time to change it. And we we put it in and Rosie sees the first performance, and she flips out. She says, it's, it's horrible, it's horrible change it. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't like the Pan Am building. Could, would you please tear it down for me? <laughs> can, you, can you do that for me for tomorrow? You know, we have no more time. That's it. You know, I told you. So that was, that was it. And, and then sure enough, wouldn't you know that the New York, the, the New York Times Review, which was just which was horrible, Uh, Said, reduced you and just think. Well, he's he's just a a boy George impersonator,
0: which is what you're trying to avoid. Trying to avoid,
1: and and you know, and he, you know, was so talented. And and oh, he is such a talented actor. And and gave a great and a
0: lovely person.
1: Great performance
0: from yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesse Pierce asks us, what Jeff Calhoun changes stuck?
1: Well, that was a strange situation that. We had a very talented choreographer, Mark Dendy, who was very much from the world of modern dance, and very, very talented. You know, he's had a wonderful career, and and this was his first Broadway show, and it was a rather interesting hire on on um, Rosie's part to, to have him. Uh, she um, she felt that his choreography was too kind of angry, and it's funny in a way; it, it was very much precursor of of what what now is basically standard Broadway choreography, which has hip hop, right, feeling and a really melange of before. styles. I haven't really seen that before, so he was kind of ahead of his time. She wasn't responding to it at all, and um, so she brought in Jeff Calhoun, who's a real real Broadway choreographer and and really knows how to how to create Sell
0: a song and-,
1: and create musical sequences. And what I the when he's and she'd worked with him in the revival of Greece, and he's a great mm-hmm. guy, and so she brought him in, and 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 Mark Dendy behaved very beautifully. You know that here he was re- being replaced, but he decided to kind of stay on as almost kind of assistant choreographer. But well, first of all, you know, you, I think he smart wisely wanted to keep his broad, get the Broadway salary, and and, right. and all, but he behaves impeccably, and uh, so. Jeff Calhoun, analyzing the problem, felt that it wasn't just steps that needed to be changed. It was that, you know, the whole like the whole opening of the first act and the second act, particularly, needed to be a whole kind of be more musicalized, where with the synthesis of bits of dialogue and and. You know, dance. And so it's all a cohesive whole. And it was, I think was the original with Mark Denny might have been a little more, you know, dance number, dialogue, dance number, you know, so I, I don't want to be unfair to Mark Dendy, who's a talented fellow, but anyway, that was sort of the idea that, that um, what uh, uh, Jeff Calhoun did. And, but then there was a strange interim period where, where Jeff, wh- while he was going to rehearse the company, to put in this new, all this new material, he decided to, to take out some of the existing choreography. So there were a couple performances where the, the ensemble just would come on and freeze.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> they had nothing to do.
1: He didn't want them to do the old stuff, but he hadn't given them the new stuff yet. So they're just. Con- and, they, and, and again,
0: that's what people don't understand. Watching, seeing a show if they're not familiar with things, right, is that right. especially during previews, things that change, every performance can be different.
1: Yeah, so then so <laughs> so it's kind of funny. So so uh, after this one horrible performance, where the you know interim thing, Rosie, we a bunch of us just just on the stage, you know, and she had just come spent all day in court you know, being sued by her, her publishers and horrible pictures are the cover of the front page of her are just awful. And I just felt awful. I think she, I think she may have been kind of over medicated with anxiety medication to get through just this awful, humiliating situation. And so there she's, you know, we're all sitting there just kind of like defeated. And last thing we needed was something that the, the, the women's Chorus, gr- chorus grievance committee comes in. Oh no! And you know, and they're all they're all you know crying. It's like we we're so humiliated going on stage, and, <laughs> and you know, like uh, you know, it's like this is the last thing we need to hear right now. You know, and <sighs> Rosie just has has to, this is the moment where she's supposed to do the you know stir you know give this big stirring speech to the troops. Right, it's just so like zombied out and and worn, to, you know, just beaten down. This poor girl. Yeah, yeah. These
0: at these moments, and we've seen it in so many documentaries of shows coming together. A strong producer with enthusiasm and a vision can rally a cast together, but if you don't have that center, it can just fall apart. Because who's running this show?
1: Well, she did fell. I mean, t- now thing is with Rosie though. She she did. Th- and she'd read those books, you know, and so she she wanted very much to be the kind of David Merrick, and she was very very aggressive, and a lot of mm-hmm. were people who found her too aggressive, and too dominating, you know. So yeah, she was she was very much like you know I'm the conductor and you're the oboe and you're the the violin, you know. No, she was she was it's just that this one day she <laughs> was beaten down, and she had to make the big speech, and we're all thinking, well, oh, what's she going to do? And and so she. <laughs> Because up there, and she she starts rambling on about you know at the theater when she was a you know a child you know at the theater seeing Pippin changed my life and oh uh, you know I just felt awful for her you know and but she did <laughs> Mark Shaman. Why is she bringing up Mark Shaman? Mark Shaman, you know that genius who gave the world hairspray. Look, not- we all invoke Mark Shaman. He, Mark Shaman could not get a ticket for the opening night of boy from odds i want to change that we all <laughs> like, and then she finishes this this four thing <laughs> down figure finishes the speech and at that point like we're all just like, you like know, and she oh she i think she puts out her hand like we're supposed to do the the thing and and, and, and you know, we all just so like so nobody moves. And so, God, so I, you know, the book writer, I, oh, I got to So I put my hand on her hand and then slowly, and yay, hey, team, and nobody says a word. And then poor Rosie, she just turns and she walks down the steps off the stage, followed by one of her, her lesbian minions. And she just walks out of the theater, and we're all looking at each other. like, go, what the hell just happened? And then suddenly the little minion runs down the aisle and says, Rosie, just put the steps back in." <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy, but but you know the thing is, I
0: oh I yeah, know. you I think there might be a whole book in the taboo you know, experience. Remember, you know, there was after after the whole
1: thing happened, and you know and it was so lambasted and, and ran, you know, a hundred performances and longer than it should have. But Rosie just kept pouring money in it because she and she felt Hope guilty. it would
0: catch on and she,
1: well and she felt guilty i mean this is she's a great gal and that's the thing right. she felt he bad loves she felt bad after she'd lost 10 10 million dollars of her own money she was the sole investor she um she felt bad that she was putting them all out of work so she right. kept the show running as long as she could and and paying for boy george's apart you know expensive apartment in new york city and and you and and every just right. keeping it going until finally you know her her you know account said you got to close it honey so so she did but uh, just out of you know and and George then started saying
0: oh she's throwing me out she's throwing me out you know I mean she was so good to him right yeah. Um, you One of my favorite, on paper, one of my favorite collaborations you did uh, was the third story with Kathleen Turner. Was it the third story? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and yet, you know, because on in my dreams, I would want to see you and Kathleen Turner doing something together. And it wasn't exactly what I had no. hoped it would be. No. And I'm curious, how was she to work with? Oh, I'm fond of her. I like her. I like, I, I like she, her very much. Well, she Although really, she did say she would not enjoy being on this show. Really? Yes. I'm surprised because you're. So but Marilyn re- May said to her, "Yes, you would." So thank you, Marilyn.
1: Yeah, because you're so respectful. You you wouldn't be. I trained, adore. Sarah, I adore or her. her. Or something. No, she's a great gal. She's a tough, smart. You know, uh, woman. I at one point. Um, we, I went out with her after the show. I went out with her uh, and Kate Mulgrew to the, uh, the Cowgirl Hall of Fame restaurant. And I'm sitting there with these two big Irish broads, you know, <laughs> and they're drinking, you know. And I, I, I felt like such a fragile little, you know, still Winwood, you know, next to these two. I, I, I said I'm miscast. I, I should be Brian Dennehy, you know, because they were just yeah. like, ah. oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! Goodness. I got put the thing up that's okay um, but now she's a great guy the problem was that that um this play it was not it, it was a complicated play that was commissioned by the, oh, put the plug in um manhattan was, theater it was, no it was commissioned by um la jolla playhouse and oh we, okay la jolla with different act with Mary Beth peel and then and then in new york um, the, the mcc theater um produced it at the, at the lucille hotel and and we recast and we kind of needed a bigger name. And so we got Kathleen and, but the thing is that the way that it was three stories that were intertwined. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't created for a second drill star. So, mm-hmm. so, so she, Kathleen and I only had, we on stage together for maybe, you know, oh, Four minutes. Minutes of the whole running yeah. time. She had and big, I kept
0: waiting for it. I yeah,
1: know. She had big scenes with other people, and yes. I had big scenes with other people. But we only kind of collided, you know, for about six minutes. So that was a big disappointment for people who thought that'd be kind of a fun thing to see. I yeah, did to, too. To, to, But it wasn't. It wasn't written that way. It was. Um, right. And it wasn't written for the idea that we'd have. You know, Kathleen Turner do it. If, Did if she I enjoy, there,
0: Did she enjoy doing your kind of play? I mean, did, was it a good experience for her?
1: Well, I don't think so because she was in a terrible physical condition. You know, she, you know, uh, her um, rheumatoid arthritis was
0: was it. Oh, have we lost Charles Bush?
1: We're kind of like...
0: Oh, you're coming back, I think.
1: Comes, yeah, hi there. Yeah. Are you back, darling? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, okay. anyway, she had many physical problems and sold and then at one point thought she was gonna have to leave. She and we we're gonna like, closed, but then she decided to come that she could do it if she never had to walk up a single step. And it was mm-hmm. a problem because the theater to get to the stage, you had to go up the steps. So we had to create this little tent just right behind the set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She was isolated it was it was just a bad situation for her, but but i I, I like her a lot and, and and after that somehow you know I, I think I just got her in this window a bad window because then after that she I oh, was doing solo shows and yeah and exactly and, and and big big stuff and so she's you know she i I got her just at a bad bad window but did was, you I,
0: did you ever work with stretch
1: I um, just one night benefit A benefit right? number number of them oh she was just wild character i mean she was so tr- true to her persona that any five minutes you had with her it defined her character mm-hmm. so, so, you, so if i met her 12 times i have 12 stories but <laughs> one, one of them with the, the first two though i'll just tell you quickly it was just that um, was i was invited they used to have i don't think they do it anymore but for a while there, there was there was this big women's of the women of the theater luncheon at the rainbow room. And it was all just women of theater and, Oh, just, you know, actors and producers and publicists. And, uh, and one year they invited me as the only male there to make a speech. And, and, and so I decided to do it in drag. So I came in this, you know, Chanel faux Chanel suit and hat and, you know, gloves. And, and I did a speech about how actresses been the great, inspiration for me on stage off stage uh and so when i finished and i was coming out of off the, the podium i kind of collided into to elaine stritch who i'd never met and she was just like yeah just yeah. that that was that was genius who was who was a genius that asked you to come here that was brilliant I, I jesus christ i think i'm in love with you and so <laughs> and then, then about you know, a few months later uh we were both on the bill for at a for a fundraiser in, in sag harbor new york and I arrived and uh, there was stretch, you know, and reading a magazine and I was just as myself. So I, I always reintroduced myself to everybody anyway, you know, so I, I went over, I said, Elaine, um, it's Charles Bush. She looked up and says, I recognize you. You're not that good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't she, did she go to one of your plays and leave it intermission but leave you a note that said, if the second act's as good as the first one
1: or no, something. Well, this is the same play, the third story, the same thing with the, Oh, the, was the, it?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, so so
1: over the years, I kept running into her and I knew she liked me in her real salty kind of way. and But she'd never actually seen me in a play. And, I, you know, and I wanted her to think I was talented, not just the nice gay boy, you know? So, uh, anyway, so I was doing this play. And it's our closing Sunday matinee. And the phone rings, that's Elaine Stritch. I go, how the hell did she get my number? You know, these people, they can always find you. And she goes, that's Elaine. I, I want to see your show today. Uh, I said, oh, well, I'll set you up with a ticket. Just, oh, you don't have to do that. I I, I never get a ticket. I just walk in, I, I'll set you up with a ticket. So then we're doing the performance. And then uh, when it's over, the house manager says, oh, Elaine Stritch left during intermission. She had a diabetic attack. So okay, so I I get home. There's a message on my answering machine. Charles, it's Elaine. Sorry, I had to leave. I was having a diabetic attack. I I gather this wasn't one of your finer efforts, but <laughs> you're a real artist. <laughs> so did
0: you save the message, please? Yes. Yeah,
1: so I just uh, you. so you yeah, know that was kind of what I wanted to hear, and so I I, I accept I accept that. But he <laughs> was an outrageous person. It's, it's so true. To that, She was just always that lady.
0: Well, again, I think that, you know, you, you've you also worked with people. They're people that you revere. And when you worked with Polly Bergen, I would expect that's a similar kind of dynamic.
1: Well, she, Polly Bergen was kind of Elaine Stritch minus the arsenic. <laughs> because, she, because they were similar, a certain, both kind of like,
0: broad ah. Broads.
1: Uh, they're the ladies, you know, you know. Ah. But, um, but Polly was, there was just a sweetness and a, kind of a And you worked with woman. her on, on a film. Yeah, she starred in a movie that I wrote and directed and acted and called Very Serious Person. and
0: Which is and, lovely. What a yeah, lovely film
1: Great, I, I adored her and, um, and she, Oh, she, if only she was alive to, to be on your show because she had the best stories, and every she had met everyone. She'd known everyone, and so during every day during the lunch break, she would just regale us, and it, and there would be a theme to the day. Great singers she'd known. So we're talking, Oh wow! We you were talking about Sinatra. this uh, Great gangsters that she'd known, because <laughs> <laughs> in her early, early days in Vegas, she knew all the you know
0: a great Sam people. Giancana story. Yes,
1: exactly. you know every day it was you know great comedians that she'd known. It wow. Was, it was, she was like sheherazade i mean we just fascinating and and uh one just funny story is that uh we were shooting this movie in a real house in rockaway you know this very very quiet older neighborhood and and they were not too pleased with us you know with our big trucks blocking their their you know uh, where their cars were and everything and driveways uh, and things driveways. And, and so it was getting, and the the older women of the uh, neighborhood were were taken just sort of standing outside, grim faced, and so we we were getting a little nervous. So we so we just sent Polly Bergen outside to to mm. calm the mob, and she so she goes out there, and well, you know, she was a huge star to them, and so they're right. all running inside, and you know, Abner, Abner, Polly Bergen's outside, and they they come out with their old Polly Bergen albums, and suddenly like she's signing <laughs> things, and you, it's nineteen sixty two. And she's signing and, and telling stories and being just fabulous and and so then so they're softening up so I said so I come out and I tell them I said you know ladies uh, we're sh- gonna be shooting a, a night scene you know, very late um, tomorrow night where there's a scene where Polly is being carried out of the house on a stretcher and uh, and we would love if you would be extras in our movie and and just come out you know in your bathrobes and your hair and curlers and just be like you're curious what's going on. The, you know, so, so everybody's all excited about it. So the next night we're set up. we got everything. we got the ambulance whatever and, and Polly and the stretcher and all the ladies come out and they're in evening gowns <laughs> <where they're> in <laughs> and just all done up. Like, <laughs> like they're going to the Oscars.
0: Oh, it's not the idea, honey. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to be in a Polly Bergen movie, you want to turn it out. <laughs> was there anybody of that that type around during the 80s and 90s and 2000s that you wanted to work with but just couldn't for whatever reason
1: well I was never you know the play like stretch. You
0: know, did you ever want to do a play with Stretch and it just never happened
1: no because you know I always re- I had my company and we were just doing play right with us and I was the leading lady and you know, it didn't really lend itself to. I, I, just, it was, it was kind of a lovely period while it lasted, where, where I just had this group with Julie Halston and Andy Holiday, and you know, there were eight of us, and and I just kept writing plays for the same eight people, mm-hmm. and that's what we did. You know, so I, I have to say, I, I'm rather proud of the fact that from 1985 to 92, I, I kept all these people in with, with insurance and, you know, constantly employed. And you
0: know, there's only one leading lady of a Charles Bush play, and that's but, Charles man, Bush.
1: Man, nobody nobody feathers and nest in a Charles Bush play.
0: <laughs> I don't care if you are a lane Stretch.
1: Yeah. That uh- <laughs> yeah. little broad's tail.
0: You know, it's, it's funny. I thought of you, I don't know, I guess it was two or three weeks ago, I had Everett Quinton on oh, and, yeah. uh, and Brian Belovich, because they had done a benefit reading of uh, Boys Don't Wear Lipstick. And, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I could have talked to Everett forever because I would have been so interested in discussing Charles Ludlam and that yeah. whole theater. Um, that was, how inspired by them were you?
1: Oh, enormous! I guess really Charles them was would be, I would say is my main, you know, inspiration. You know, I was so. mean, did
0: that sort of give you permission to do whatever you wanted to do? Yeah.
1: Oh yes! Oh yes! No, I was uh, I guess in um, high school, maybe senior year of high school, perhaps when I first saw Charles them perform, and and I, you know, do I you remember wanted- what it was. Yeah, it was. A, it was before he had his own theater space. It was over at Westbeth, nearby where I live. Um, it was a play called "Eunuchs of the Forbidden City," and it was a <laughs> Chinese epic about the, the the last empress of China, who started out as a courtesan, and 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 he play, uh, Charles played her chief eunuch, Lilian. So she would say, uh, uh, "Yeah, Lelian. But yeah, oh, it was incredible. I had read about him. I, you know, I, I think in Vogue magazine there was a people are talking really? about it in the section and I read about this fascinating man and and I just wanted to be a you know on the stage and I didn't know how I was going to quite achieve that being this rather androgynous boy you know and I and I'd always written but I I, I somehow didn't make the connection that I'd write roles for myself for somehow and and then um, when I saw Ludlam though I I. Suddenly, it just it was like, I, "Oh my God!" This rush of of that because here we were young actors and playing in drag just
0: uh-huh.
1: because they were going to play the part, and it was just and and the use of of, of old films as a reference point and nineteenth century theater and all the things that I was interested in, and yeah, and that and that the theater did not have to be just the plays and musicals on broadway that i had seen that it could the main point i think i got from it was that a theatrical experience could be whatever you chose it to be you know and mm-hmm. that i could just create whatever world i wanted to be in and be in it that
0: did you created... get to know each other did you become yes, friendly somewhat, at
1: all somewhat uh, you know i i uh, i met him um but, well you know i was at that my first stage of my career, you know, since was as a solo performer, because I, how do you get a play put on? But I thought if I do these kind of dramatic monologues, I could play in a cabaret, even though it doesn't really suit a cabaret because it's all spoken, there's no music. But but uh, that was the only thing I could think of was to sort of try to get booked at the duplex or something. But um, mm-hmm. so anyway, and I, so I wanted Charles Ludlam to see me. Again, sort of like with Elaine Stritch, I, I didn't particularly want to work with Charles Ludlam I, I just wanted him to think I was talented because I, I just so worshiped him and thought he was so, such a genius. I, so you I never
0: want... auditioned for one of his plays? Well, he was in the company.
1: company. He didn't do auditions. Same
0: thing me. as you, right.
1: He was with his company. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to work with him. I, uh-huh. I just,
0: and
1: I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't want to be friends with him. I, I just, I don't know what I wanted. I just, you know, I was very young and I just, I wanted to think I was talented. That was kind mm-hmm. of enough. And so, uh, so I, I, I invited somehow I would met him in Chicago when I was going to Northwestern. He and the, his company came to the University of of Chicago, and 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 I sort of met them briefly, you know, whatever. But but then uh, so I uh, put flyers up around his theater and just try. Wrote him a letter, you know. He has his own theater now, in, at this point on uh, Sheridan Square, so uh, in the village, and he came I came to the show, and I my act and, but didn't stick around afterwards. I was disappointed, but you know, I was very driven back then as y- young people are. And um, I saw that he was going to receive an award, the Charlie Awards, which was like for comedy awards. And okay. he was getting the award. So I dragged my sister to, get to, to go to the Charlie Awards. It was at some restaurant and uh, looked around and stalked him and found him and Everett. They were kind of fairly new in their relationship. And so i saw him and i said oh i i heard you're at my show the other night and i just want to thank you for coming and he goes oh yeah i know it's great and um you know i just get shy about going back afterwards but uh what do you so what are you up to and i said nothing you know and <laughs> he said oh you know my theater we've got so much empty space you know uh you should do late shows on weekends at my theater go, what you know oh and he goes yeah you should do it and like you know like when do you want to start I don't know. Next month, you know. Uh, so after we left, I said, to "My sister, is this for real? It, it, really?" So then, you know, I started getting all you know worked up, and I I got myself on the Joe Franklin show, you know, and, and I was in my sent my my press release to Michael's thing publication, you know, the game bar rags, and uh, so then time was moving on, and I went over to see backstage after he was doing a performance of Camille. I went backstage, to, and I said, hi, remember me? You know. Uh, so I, I guess um, I open next week. Uh, should, um, should we arrange for a tech rehearsal? And he goes, next week? What? He had totally forgotten. And, and he um, said, I think you need to talk to our business manager. So I went to see this woman who was totally harassed and overworked. And she said, I'm sorry. We're, we have no money to put on late shows. And, you just can't do it, and I just pleaded. I said, "You don't understand. I've been on the Joe Franklin show. You, got, you know, I've got I've been in Michael's thing. You know, uh, <laughs> you don't have to pay anything. I'll supply my friends. will Will run the lights and run the box office. Just, just please, just let me.
0: Just give us the space. Eleven
1: thirty on Friday and Saturday night. So, uh, so just, okay. And so I, I did that. And I was totally unknown, and you know, nobody showed up. You know, just but I, you know, I could say that I sure somewhere for a couple you know, weekends. And so he was, he was encouraging to me and, and, and actually it was interesting was in my solo. Sh- and then, Oh, later, uh, Oh, I did an engagement at another space. And uh, Everett ran the lights and sound for me. He was just very oh. generous. Um, and Charles would pick him up after the show. And, and, the the unspoken truth of my solo shows were that i played all the i wasn't in drag i would play all these characters male and female tell these stories and and i wasn't really very good as the male characters really i i I kind of my imagination took flight when i would play the countess or the old Mm -hmm. movie actress or various people but you know somehow as the old irish fisherman i was (laughs) adequate but i felt that in these narratives that I was telling, I had to play all the characters. And Charles mm-hmm. said to me, What well, why don't you just play the female characters and
0: you yeah. know and hire a guy?
1: Well just play you know, it was a solo show. Just, just oh so, so
0: write it just for stories
1: or just female characters. And I was like no yeah but 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 he was right and, and eventually well I stopped doing the solo show because because we started doing plays in East Village, and and they took off, and in my career began, We're, and I only played the female character because that was really um, what I what I did best. And and uh, it, and now i you know I've like in this movie I'm playing a male character, although I get dressed up and dragged several times to poses in the in the wacky hilarity. I have to <laughs> pose with different people, so um, yeah. But it's 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 a challenge for me playing the male character in a way that. It's, it is easier for me. I'm more at ease with myself when I play the female character.
0: You and I talked about that before when you did that play, which I loved so much with, uh, oh God, what, that you just did a reading for the one with the dead old woman who you impersonate.
1: Oh, the tribute artist. Yeah. The did.
0: tribute artist. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember it may be the first time I ever saw you play a male role. And, and yet, uh, I
1: was in dre- the entire play that I was in drag. I was playing a man, but I was always dressed as the woman that I. As her. As. Well, no, aren't you
0: as a boy at the beginning? At some point.
1: No, never. But what I thought was interesting about that play, what I was trying to do, and and a lot of the critics didn't really, you know, weren't going for it, but was that, you know, it was the only time I've done a like a Tootsie type Charlie Zant story. You know, I just always just play a woman. But I thought it would be interesting to take the, the idea of you know a man who has to who has to pose as a woman and has to get into drag, and what what would it be like to do it where it's not a straight guy who's never done drag before and who uh, that where the comedy is based on that he that he has to figure out how to do it, you know and. Or in a comedy is also, is he going to be caught without his wig on? Oh, you know, they're coming in. Oh, my boobs are on fire. Or, you know. (laughs) Or there's always a big element in all those stories of kind of a homosexual panic
0: where um, where
1: what happens. You'll be
0: found out.
1: Or a straight man is attracted to. Oh, that's right.
0: There was the guy. Was it the lawyer or the nephew who was was like flirting flirting with you?
1: father father and Tootsie. Charles Durning is falling in love with, with him as Dorothy, but it's, it's a, Oh, it's, it's a, it's a stable or something like it hot, you know, um, right. Uh, Osgood falls in love with uh, Jack Lemmon, you know, Joey Brown. So I, I, I just wanted to see what would it be like to do it from a very contemporary point of view, where if the guy was a professional female impersonator and gets this opportunity to pose as this, this dead woman, so he can, get a hold who of who was
0: in in the original the production townhouse. Anthony Harris who I adore yeah, so
1: and get a hold of the townhouse that because you know, he's broke and and what if then he there's a, a straight guy that he's really attracted to but thinks of him as as this oh, this old woman and but could he still possibly have sex with the guy without the guy knowing that he's really not her and you know, then it so,
0: becomes M butterfly so I just
1: thought that would be kind of funny and, and novel and and uh, and and so and what I tr- thought was also interesting, I don't know, was that he, you know, people so often people do do believe what they want to believe, and so right. here he's so I start off with this wig on and and these caftans posing as this very glamorous older older sophisticated lady who has this with slight, the
0: big glasses,
1: slight European accent, and then all these people come in. She has it turns out she has a niece who who has claims to the house, and she moves in with her transgendered son, and, you know, those people. So he starts, Jimmy, my character, starts experimenting how far he can go. What if he's not, what if he starts just wearing jeans and just have a man's shirt, but keep the wig on? Will they still believe he's this lady? Because they seem to buy it. And the more natural he is, the more they're buying it. And then, well, maybe I'll take off the glasses and or maybe I'll maybe I'll even st- kind of drop the accent a bit too, you know. And get a haircut. So they, you know? Yeah. And so the the niece she starts falls she starts off very cantankerous, just that, you know, resenting that that this her aunt is, you know, gonna build her out of her inheritance, and then starts to fall in love with uh just be so attached to this kind of mother figure who's rather androgynous and that she just wants to believe. So I, I thought that was very interesting. But um, I liked
0: that play very much, and I remember the the critics really almost took you to task for trying something new.
1: Yeah, they 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 wanted it to be.
0: They couldn't get past. They that. wanted a typical Charles Bush play. Also, can I they just wanted,
1: say? They wanted that kind of typical idea of. The, I I I didn't really read those reviews as that that much, but I got the the gist. I think was yeah. that that they felt that. That I, why wasn't I doing the stuff where, where I was being caught out of costume and, you know, the oh. whole.
0: And the other thing about, it, first off, it was a very naturalistic play. It wasn't as farcical because it was rooted in reality. Yeah, yeah, and the set, you and I have talked about this before, the set was one of the most beautiful sets I have ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And the detail was so exquisite that, again, gave it that root in reality that i thought it all came together beautifully but either you bought it or you didn't the second second half
1: there's there's some problems i I think if i was going to do it again i might have changed it a bit but you know uh but it it had interesting things in it
0: yeah. Um yeah. Barry Pearl just texted. Hi, Billy. Loved uh his writing. Uh did Till the Algest Way. Oh, he did Till the Algest Way' at the Laguna Playhouse. So Barry, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I love Barry Pearl was um in the original Broadway production of Greece and in the film of Greece. And he does a lot of regional theater. So I assume he played um. The husband. the husband, presumably. Oh, no, after who played? Who played? More, who were the ladies in it? Oh, Barry, tell us who the ladies were. Um, we had uh, Charles. We had um, Michelle Lee and Lainey Kazan finally here. Yeah. Charles, Charles was uh, was Lainey Kazan at one point for us when Lainey was sick, and we had Michelle Lee. Yeah. And I just called Charles frantically and said, "Are yeah. you free in an hour?" And you said to me, "Who canceled?" So.
1: Yeah, so that's the story of my and life that's,
0: But you were there for us And um, Michelle and I talked about you And we were talking about how much she loved doing that play To come back to Broadway In a Charles Bush play That wasn't a Charles Bush play yes. That it was a great play
1: Yeah, it was a very different different genre Yeah, And she- again,
0: but it's funny, isn't it interesting The critics didn't take you to task for that Maybe because you weren't in it.
1: Yeah, I they they gave me that one. I, I you know. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I wonder
0: why. I, and I
1: sometimes I think that that there's a narrative that people want to be a part of, and and I think somehow the narrative that this how I was perceived as this kind of drag drag queen uh, East Village character that 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 he wrote this kind of Neil Simon mm-hmm. comedy and let's be behind it. Let's, and I guess, and it was, it was a funny play, you know, and it, and it, it, it was it, a great play. And I, and I think it, you know, it took it, took that Neil Simon kind of play to uh, another step forward, be, another place because, you know, it was about this, this middle-aged couple, it's allergist and his wife, except, you know, rather well-to-do uh, New York couple and, and uh, they end up being seduced by this very glamorous woman, Kooky, uh, eccentric, and they and, and you know in in earlier versions, what it might have. In, I mean, if somebody if another playwright had done it a few years earlier, mm-hmm. you know, they would have almost had sex with her, and then it doesn't happen. You know, but I thought, well, let them have sex. Let yeah. her let her have the get. You know. Let her have the gay experience.
0: Well, and what was what that, I found interesting it about, I, you know, I revisited it when you did it um, for Stars in the House with um, with Richard Kind and Andrew Martin and, and, and Faith Prince. Oh, right. Thank you. And then um, we were at my big event a
1: year ago, exactly a year ago.
0: I was it, there. With, I know
1: with with Linda Lally. was
0: it this week?
1: I it was well, right
0: I, before or after Thanksgiving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it was like November 19th or something like that. Yeah.
0: And again, but what but watching it recently what I thought to myself was really everybody ex- except perhaps the mother, everybody is going through their own kind of midlife crisis. You have the husband who's right. retired and finding what his life is going to be. The mother who really never found what her life was and threw it into her kids, but
1: Right. never
0: had a life of her own. Right. And then this crazy woman who may or may not have a life of her own. And I thought to myself, you're really having three people dealing with what is reality and what is happiness, all conf- really coming together. And um, when you see it just on, on screen with these zoom things and hear just the words, it's oh. so moving on a different level. Because it's hysterical in the theater, and it's hysterical listening to it. When you listen to it, there's a lot of pathos there and a lot of angst that all of them are going through.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting, but the, the Zoom play reading—that this whole new format that we've been forced to to see—and and sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's just so dreary, you know, because it can be kind of boring, you know, just seeing these faces, nobody. I guess, yeah, all that. But it, when it works. It, it is an interesting um, way of, of hearing a play. Uh, some plays work better than others for it. You know, if it's too talky, it can get kind of stultifying. But uh, it, it seems like that one worked pretty well. But it, but because it, it, it is sort of interesting for a performer that it's it's like being in a movie and just doing your whole play in, in close up. And right, uh, or and a it, radio show. Yeah, but a radio. it's it, in a way more interesting than radio show. But, for the, for the actor, you know, just
0: yeah, because, of course. because
1: you are playing and you can do all sorts of rather subtle things as you would do. And, and I, I tell you, you know, it was helpful, I think, to me um, doing it. I've done so many of these Zoom. Oh, I know. And then, then go, I hadn't been in a movie in, in 12 years. And so oh, making wow. my movie, I, I think the Zoom it was actually a, kind of a good preparation for. for really? Well, it the, is
0: camera work.
1: It's camera work, you know, and, and, and the more you do them, you know, they become more uh, sophisticated. Now, I haven't done one in a while, but now I understand you, you have to have backgrounds. The audience won't yeah. take it unless you have the background. So the right. uniform things and-
0: well go back to our first one i mean the first one we did you were up st- you were in a different room i didn't have any background at all yeah. we were just talking and thinking that was enough and yeah, there's yeah. been a learning curve that we have had that really yeah, is yeah. extraordinary that they look a lot slicker and and um i think the slicker they look actually allows you to focus on the conversation more and i don't know why
1: but you yeah, think things are not distracted by like Everybody's in a different environment, and you know. Now we do this sort of things where uh, tricks where you know I'll uh, I'll have like the glass and you know and hand it to yeah. you and, yes, and you know all that stuff and. No, you know, that
0: was my favorite yeah. when you did Die, bomb Me Die" and you handed the file and then they took the file. I laughed so so much. I remember. I remember. I texted you and you said, "Oh, we worked on that and it worked."
1: yeah yeah because that I, was
0: the first time I saw somebody do that. That was the very first yeah. one
1: it's like the early days of television or something the breakthroughs yeah i mean i I think i I think the zoom reading will will go like a silent film so it, when once, when, when live performance returns, we won't need the zoom although there are certain things I think have come out of it that uh, certain meetings I think actually are helpful with Doing I thing. think
0: there is aspects of this that will be with us for a long time. And, um, inter- you know, it's interesting when you watch like talk shows on TV, they're basically the same as this show. And I'm like, wow, it's so interesting that it's leveled the playing field for so many people.
1: Well, I thought now when we were staffing the, the movie mm-hmm. that I did and we had to do interviews with them, uh, directors for t- cinematographers and, and, and um, also all the different people involved in the movie. We had do interviews. And, and so we did all zoom things. And I kind of thought it was, it was, it's nice that people are sort of relaxed in their own environment that they didn't have to mm-hmm. show up on the subway for 45 minutes in the rain to wherever I'm, the meeting's supposed to be. And then sit in a waiting room, get, you know, sort of anxious and then finally come in and try to present yourself in a Wonderful way. I I thought it was kind of nice that we just, you're in your living room talking. And, you
0: know, well, you know, it's funny. It's something I've always said to actors when they've gone to audition, uh, because I've auditioned, I've been on the other side of the casting table. And what I've always explained to people first off, all actors should have to be on the other side of that table so that they understand it. But they also never understand. Every casting director wants you to be good. There's not an antagonistic relation. I mean, some are less nice than others, but they want to discover a great person. They are praying you are what they, they want.
1: They'll save, they'll save them. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's, it's so true. I wish every, every actor could have that experience because they would see, and they'd also would learn that all the reasons why somebody's not cast it, and it has
0: very little to do yeah. with your talent. It's just you're not what we're picturing. Or and how what you're
1: going to fit in with the other person who's, who's already. There's kept. a stage picture, right? You yeah. know, how he, all, all sorts, of, sorts of things. People do really great audition, but they're just a little too young for the And part. you know how
0: many, and I don't know if this happened to you, so many friends of mine have auditioned for things they didn't get. But if you're good, a casting director will remember you later, say, You know who'd be great for this? And they'll mm-hmm. call you in.
1: Well, you know what I just read was. Um,
0: have you seen the, the new season of The Crown? Yeah, I haven't. I downloaded
1: it. Was, it was I a wonderful downloaded. young actress Emma Corrin. I think her name is. Yes. Right? Yeah. And she's just brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. I I read that that she actually um Kate was just hired as the reader for the auditions. She was oh wow! The first actors were reading with, and that that's how they discovered her and, and gave her See? the yeah,
0: you never know. And speaking, somebody just texted John wrote, Taylor the Algiers' wife, did Valerie Harper do it too? And Linda Lavin, they both did. But now that's you know, that brings up a really interesting point is what was the difference between the two of them doing that play? Did you find strengths and weaknesses or find new things in the character when Val took over?
1: Yes, well, um, well, it's interesting that the original. when. You know, I, I kind of wrote it for Linda Lavin in a way. Right. I, I was writing the play. I didn't know Linda. I, I was writing the play and then while I was working on it, I saw her in a play and I thought, oh, she'd be the perfect person. So I had her in mind. And then we were lucky enough to to get her. although there was about nine months that she strung us along that she wasn't sure. It's a huge part. And it wasn't until I played it for one night I thought, I don't know how those dames played that. <laughs> It's the most killer part, and Linda. In fact, because you almost never leave the stage, and yes, she's just screaming and beating her breast, and and so um, yes, Linda didn't think she wanted to work that hard, so she kind of kept us on the line for about nine months while we. And so at a certain point, we started seeing other. We started doing readings with other people, including Valerie. But but then finally, Linda, who who was just so perfect for the part. Oh she, yeah, um, so she did it, and then. So then we were casting for a replacement. So we went to Valerie and, um, and, and, you know, it was a real challenge for her and she didn't get it quite at first because the character, you know, people often think that she and Linda are sort of interchangeable. and it really it's mm-hmm. not true. Um,
0: the part- I recently saw, re-saw a uh, Rhoda episode with the two together. of them. So young. Yeah. And so I'm good, like, yeah. you know, you don't think of them as contemporaries, but they obviously are. I mean, and very is- New York and very young.
1: And they, that episode shows them absolutely at their best of what they both do and how different yeah. they are. the um,
0: archness versus the insecurity the, yeah. yeah
1: yeah well so this part of Marjorie in the play is this woman who's you know going through a midlife crisis but she's rather pretentious and she's culturally mm-hmm. striving and you know and, and just maybe a little foolish about her And Valerie both in life and as Rhoda is all about anti-pretension right it, and real basic. You know, and just telling it like it is, and and so it was kind of hard for her to play the kind of foolishness of this of this woman with her striving of wanting to be an artist and all this, and um, so it, it took her a little while. But you know, she was a um, woman of, of enormous um, drive. Mm-hmm. And she uh, to succeed and to be good and to push herself, and so she worked very hard and. And 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 each laugh. I mean, it just if she wasn't getting a laugh, she had to figure out how to get it, and wow. and, and she did it. And you know, and, and I, um, I eventually, you know, she, eventually she, you know, really she was terrific. And you know, she was a very beloved figure, and she oh, sold all yeah. tickets. She kept that show running, and um, and then of course she was at the helm during 9-11. and, and, oh. and it's interesting now. Here the theaters have been cl- will be closed for over a year before they come back, but that that was the first time the theaters were closed for five days, and it was just such a, <laughs> a oh my god the theaters are closed we're, we're missing a week you know, little do we know what was ahead but uh, when it came was going to come back you know Valerie who was sort of like a politician she was at the forefront of of you know reclaiming Broadway and reclaiming New York coming back. And she was just everywhere. And And
0: I think when you have a beloved person like that, who has been in everyone's homes, they're very good in a time of crisis to kind of. But she defined New York. Rhoda. Yeah. Right. The New Yorker and everything that we want. And she was everyone's best friend.
1: And, And she and Valerie really was so aware. And I adored her. And I did too. She was so aware of, of, of that, that she wasn't just an actress, because are other actresses who are more famous, you know, or more sure. you know, whatever, but versatile, I don't know, what it, but she she was aware that she represented, she was one of those rare performers who represented something, and she mm-hmm. kind of represented best friend, and yeah. she took that seriously, and I, you know, I, I've never seen anyone, I, you know, quite like that, I've known a lot of these these ladies, but every person who'd recognize her on the street you know she would like give them 20 minutes i mean yeah would, you know and it could be it could be a little like you know we've got the reservation we gotta get the restaurant You know, but now she you know, never
0: it, rushed people
1: and who who are you know what do you do and what, who are your family and what do you what, what does your husband do and what i mean right. she really gave them this wonderful time with her you know and, and i've never seen anything quite like it and, and I, I i learned something i've, I've tried to be a little nicer person from a little more generous just from watching from being an yeah,
0: and it's funny you mentioned the pretension being not part of her general makeup because I remember when she did Matthew Lombardo's looped where she played yeah. Lula Bankhead that she worked so hard. But in that case you were really totally immersed in that character. So you, had to play that character. Well, I,
1: I she was really good in that, and I, I was, thought she was. I was a little dubious how she was going to pull this off. I was too, and I and I, I don't know. I, I like to think that maybe in some way the experience of playing because uh, she did the whole Marjorie. Of, of playing Marjorie for she did it for about you uh, know two years at least. You know, oh wow, New York, New York and on the road. Oh, that's right. So maybe that. You know, I mean, because everything we do helps us. You, know? you build on it, of course. You build on it. I, mean, I think that might have been a little bit of help because she, I was, think so. She, I wouldn't have thought that was a role that she could,
0: uh, I did not um, either. Yeah, she got that perfectly. Uh, John yeah. continues asking, Who else would you like to see in it? And he suggests Lucy Arnez Jr. or uh Marlo Thomas, or is she yeah. too old?
1: Well, not not she's too old today, but but I think that I was told that, that when uh, when we didn't think we during the period when we didn't think Linda was going to do the play that mm-hmm. actually it was the script was sent to Marla Thomas who, who evidently said I can't believe they're sending me this piece of shit. <laughs>
0: Can I just tell you last night I was talking to somebody because when I'm in Florida, at, when I get up, you know, roughly at noon, at 12 to 1, you get two episodes of That Girl, which I haven't seen since the 80s. So I just sit and love it. And a friend of mine said, I have never heard a kind word about Marlo Thomas. And I remember there was that book that was it her butler or somebody yes, wrote yeah, this better. hateful book.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I've I've not,
0: kn- I've not, I have met her once. She was lovely. But yeah. yeah I've, met, I've met her a couple times
1: and, you know, it's just like a little conversation and, and right. she, what is, she was lo- lovely. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: I, I mean, I think she would have I think she would have been, been good. Uh, is uh, there somebody today, if it was being done that you would want to do that role? Well, like I think,
1: who was I thinking of recently? Uh, well, Lucy would, could would be good as the Michelle Lee part. I, don't, I,
0: think I think so too. Yeah, she's right for the other one.
1: Um, oh gosh, there's there there are
0: a couple of uh, Eddie Falco, maybe. Oh, that would be very interesting. Maybe, maybe, or yeah. a Lorraine Bracco, although she could play the other role, maybe.
1: Yeah, or um, there was some. There was another lady that I, I was thinking of. What
0: about a Sybil shepherd?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's such a specific part. You know, it's very hard. You know, the the movie version of it, which it's been dragging on. Oh, can
0: we talk to you about that? 17
1: years. It was, it was very difficult because.
0: Now, it, was Sharon going to play that role or was Bette going to play Stone that was, role? At
1: one point, there was talk about her playing the Michelle, Michelle Lee part. And With, Bette was, was going to play the yes. 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 Although Bette used to say that she thought in some ways her persona was actually more. Or was closer to the Michelle Lee character. So I agree with you. Yeah. you know, free spirit. She
0: could do either.
1: She could do either yeah. either. yeah. And it's dragged on. Last I heard, it was kind of on again. But oh, yeah.
0: I, and I and I had
1: gave an idea that because um, the the characters really should be in their late fifties.
0: Really. Oh really? I always we, thought that they were early. You know, like sixty-five, like retirees. Yeah, it's like.
1: Well, you know, Linda, I think, and Michelle were both about about sixty when they did it, and oh, really? uh, yeah, they should be like you know sixty. Okay. And um, that's and so hard
0: because we don't have character actresses of that age of and specificity today, right now.
1: Well, women in their late fifties today are very different from what they were like that, yeah, you know, twenty years ago. I and know. So all the actresses that we were the young when we were trying to start casting it with women who were in their fifties. You know it, John
0: it's, suggests Marissa yeah. Tomei Yeah but they you know they're all so She young. reads young They all
1: they're all still kind of girly and you just yeah. don't really believe them as that kind of I and I don't think that lady Like really Sarah
0: cares. Jessica Parper is yeah. almost the right age but plays so young and, and they
1: don't want to play that part they don't want to play this kind of unsexy sort of you know woman yeah. who is going to see the ballet folklorico to mexico you know And you know, <laughs> you, know they're, 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 you know reading you know uh, Herman Hesse you know, they don't want to see themselves <laughs> as that. So, 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 so I said to this producer who's been trying to get it made that, you know, what, maybe we they could be in the early 70s and, and just. Play you know, 60. No, and, and play early 70s. Oh. And change the story. That
0: yeah, people are so vital longer good. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and the, true.
1: I, well, the screenplay is very different from the. Play. Oh, open, is it? Well, it's very opened up and it's very different. And and so, the, the daughter who does not appear in the play, we had the daughter, right. daughter who in the screenplay was like in her 20s, um, was became a major character and all this. And so, I said, well, maybe she could have a biracial granddaughter, you know? Oh, that would be
0: interesting. 20,
1: instead of the daughter who becomes her kind of.
0: Psychic. Now, John is really pushing for Marissa Tomei. She She's my dear, my dear friend. friend. She's very, I know yeah. All right. Well, get her on, John. If you get in touch with me, we'll <laughs> make it happen. Now, who do we put opposite Marissa Tomei? Now you need Sarah Jessica Parker.
1: Yeah, you put them together. Yeah, They're sort of the same generation. Yeah.
0: I don't yeah. know. I don't think that would work. And Matthew Broderick could be Marissa's husband.
1: Yeah, We've all... just
0: cast your movie.
1: Okay. All right. There you have I it.
0: I don't know if I see any of them.
1: I think they're all too, yeah. I know. Everybody comes off much younger today. Yeah. So, yeah. Women, maybe it's a good thing. just, they don't suddenly feel at a certain age that they have to wear their hair a certain way. or whatever. They just, everybody's kind of, whether you're 80 or, or 20, you're in the same leggings.
0: How about Christine Baransky and Nathan Lane? Done. Okay, but which role yeah. would you put Christine in? She could do either.
1: She, could, she, she yeah, I, yeah,
0: I don't
1: quite see it. But
0: and what about Marjorie? No, I was going to say Marjorie could be black. Talk about biracial. Well, that wouldn't work point,
1: though. At one point, this producer was so desperately trying to set it up that uh-huh. he he was saying, "Queen Latifah," and I said, "You know, no." Oh. <laughs> It's
0: a very specific oh, thing, yeah. Audra McDonald and Merrill.
1: Well, Merrill Streep, you know, is the go-to person for everybody for everything. And well, you know, the thing was that we had um,
0: Goldie Hawn and Merrill Streep.
1: Uh-huh. They'd be, they would have been they would have been perfect. Perfect. Um, yeah, no, at one point, this producer you when he first was gonna do it, and this was like you know, almost 20 years ago, uh Somehow, I, wrote this, I wrote this. I wrote this really bad screenplay. Really bad screenplay, and that was submitted to Meryl Streep, and she she uh, turned it down. But and and then there was talk about Barbara Streisand at one point, and um, but it it wasn't very good. Then then we had a whole new screenplay that 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 Midler was involved in, and, and now it's sort of being rewritten again. I I don't know, whatever. I will we'll
0: brainstorm. You and I will figure this out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I've never been that that excited about it. I guess, you know, my ego has always been so much more of an actor that 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 you know, I was so desperate to make a movie again, but for me to star in that mm-hmm. and, and it sounds kinda kinda kooky, most people wouldn't get it, but because you know the Aldris Wife movie would be like a really big, you know, like twenty million dollar movie or something. Depending
0: but, on this cast, sure. Yeah,
1: but whereas these movies that I make are, you know, for low budget indie film, but I yeah, was but always, you
0: know, but all your plays were sort of indie low budget plays until you yeah, went to Broadway.
1: Yeah, but I've just always more interested in being in a movie than I could act in. See? Yeah. Uh, so that that's always the thing that I've been so uh, trying to push and trying and being so excited about or being disappointed in when it didn't happen.
0: Well, because we've talked about that before that the writing really came from needing a vehicle.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I was just much more excited about getting this movie that I just finished making done than than the so I' life. And most people would think that, that was really foolish, but that's
0: Did you get the thrill out of writing a play for Broadway that you would have gotten by performing in an off-Broadway play?
1: Well, it's a very different thing. I'd never really done it and it just sort of happened like most things in, in my life, they just kind of, I don't really pursue. They've just kind of, things have happened and, and it all worked out, you know, um, because I, I more and more I've realized, you know, I've had the most odd career and, and life and, and it's been wonderful. You know, it ain't over yet, but it's just, uh, <laughs> it, it's just, I, I don't really like show business and I'm not really, and, and I've somehow managed, except for rare occasions, to actually, have a full career and, and in a way not be in, in show business,
0: you know, mm-hmm. cause I,
1: you know, I had a theater company and it was just all my friends. Right. And it was not showbiz. I wasn't, you know, and we produced it ourselves basically. So I wasn't, again,
0: in, out of the Charles Ludlum I, type. I of wasn't theater.
1: answering to, I never had to answer to somebody. And, and then I, right. didn't, and then I've been so lucky that I've often been working for nonprofit theaters that just sort of respected me and, and my director and, and were inobtrusive and and there I, I wasn't really in show business. And some of the movies I was in were as unshow businessy as a movie could be, you know, where I didn't have all sorts of people to answer to. And two mm-hmm. cents and, and 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 the experiences I've had that were more show business, like taboo, you know, in Broadway, or or um, oh, you know, there was a period where I was right I was writing all these TV pilots that never sold, you know, and that was, you know, and I had to an answer to five different um, executives giving ridiculous notes and trying to navigate and play like survivor, mm-hmm. like you know who's the alliance with, and I'll take this, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that note so they think that I'm being you know team player so that I can not take that that note that's going to be so you could get
0: the thing you really want, yeah.
1: you know, and and I hated all that and you know and I probably you know had I not been just such a you know fragile little flower, I guess I I would have had a much more successful career as far as um mainstream goes but i i took myself out of the running you know i i after taboo i i just thought i'd never ever want to get closer to a broadway musical than you know balcony first row center and and I've turned down things and then at a certain point you stop being asked you know
0: and of course i just
1: didn't want to be you know, write a writer. i didn't want to be a book writer of a, of a broader music. And then of course i you know i i started looking at and think something's running 10 years oh gee maybe i was foolish not to do that but you know i, I just didn't want to do it there wasn't the life i wanted to lead and and then television you know i watched the emmy awards and they're all you know, somebody's—they're all congratulating themselves, and, I, and I'm thinking, like, oh boy, I—if I had kept up writing those TV pilots, eventually I might have one of them might have sold, and and I would have didn't have you know zillionaire, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to live in L.A. and I didn't want to put in my. Did you, do
0: it? Somebody just texted me, uh, not on the uh, Zoom. They asked, uh, "Did you enjoy doing the soap opera?"
1: Well. Yeah. That was a real shock. You know, I, you know, I don't pursue again. I, I know it's not kind of kind of loony here, but I, <laughs> I don't pursue an acting career, you know? So once know. Every, about every decade, I get just offered something like, like Oz, you know, I was, I was a, right. a regular on Oz for recurring character for two seasons, but that was just sort of off. They wrote me in. I didn't have to audition mm-hmm. or, or anything. Um, and so that's so suddenly out of the blue my manager called up and said, you won't believe this, but this producer from one life to live wants you to come on the show and, you know, play this woman who runs a modeling agency. What? Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> oh, I can find out what point do they pull my wig off and she's a man, you know, and he called back and I goes, no, they, they just think that this guy is a fan of yours and thinks that it'd be fun to have you play this kind of Kate Thompson, Roz Russell sort of yeah. a lady. So I thought, wow, that's really cool. And, and um, so I did, I think, nine episodes, and, and was course, it
0: fun? Yeah.
1: Well, the thing was that I, I had just—it was the first thing I had done after nearly dying from heart surgery, surgery, having, right? Neortic aneurysm, having heart surgery, so I was kind of very sort of Judy neurasthenic kind of thing, and and so I, so there I was, and and I'd never done anything remotely like this, and. Uh, and I didn't have that big a part, but, but still, it was just scary. after Every day another script comes and you know, and trying to memorize these things. And all my lines were kind of the same line in variations of, uh, <laughs> uh, why don't you please sit down and uh, uh, <laughs> make yourself comfortable. And Jen will be coming in shortly. You know, I mean, it was all variations of that. So anyway, it was, it was fascinating. And uh, uh, <laughs> it's a little ruthless. Because at one point there was this beautiful young young actor. He was so pretty. And he was playing, he was a uh, love interest to Jen, you know, the character, the young blonde girl who, who was the lead in my storyline. And um, I was so nervous that I would say to him, hey, hey come, um, would you just run lines with me? You know, because far scene, he goes, all right. So he says to me, now, um, I'm just gonna tell you that when we run these lines right now, I'm going to also say my subtext out loud, which is what the subtext is, is what's the thought under, under underneath your line, which is mm-hmm. often different from what you're actually expressing. So I said, yes. fine, let's just run the lines, you know. And so, uh, so he, so I said, uh, hello, uh, may I help you? Um, uh, I'm here to see Jen, you dumb cunt. <laughs> <laughs> please, would you please sit down? Jen is in the middle of a photo shoot, but may I, uh, <laughs> Would you like some coffee? Uh, yes, I would.
0: You dumb cunt! I said, wait a minute. You know, so he's got he, a he's got a wide palette of subtext.
1: So every line was. So then, you know, um, we we he does a scene, you know, and the director, you know, told him to toughen it up. I said, yeah, remember, I'm the dumb cunt, you know. But <laughs> then, you know, about a few days later, we're shooting this other scene, and it's big. It's a big scene. Lots of people on stage. It was like a fashion show that I was running and I don't know, And all of, sudden, all of a sudden in the middle of the scene, there's a uh, announcement that's on camera and in the set, it wasn't like some sort of voiceover thing and it says at today's, in today's episode, the role usually played by Joe Smith will now be played by Nicholas Jones. They fired him. And I had no idea that so he wasn't there. Then the strange person walked on and, and we're, it, it was the nuttiest thing. <laughs> it's a strange world of soap opera. That's the way when oh. he walks, like, soap dish, it's not that, you know, oh. it's not that exact. See, I
0: think there's got to be a whole chapter about this and it's only nine <laughs> episodes. And yet I would eat all of this up.
1: Well, what was sweet was, cause I, I didn't, you know, I, Oh, i don't know i i didn't think i was so hot you know It and my for partner, a dumb cunt my partner said to me after you started we started watching the first episode he said oh why are you like taking such a strange breath between every <laughs> phrase i said because i didn't know the lines i was so scared you know i was like uh jen um would you uh, i was like Joan crawford like faye Joan Crawford on the soap and then i <laughs> My first entrance, I tripped over the wire. It's okay. <laughs> and
0: is the trip in the final yeah, thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but when I finished... Oh, my I know what I'm
1: going to do. When I finished my nine days, the uh, mm-hmm. rather tough, grizzled assistant director, you know, I'm saying goodbye. He says, well, we're, we're sure going to miss you. I said, why? Because oh, you saved your, our asses so many times. So what did I, how did I do that?
0: And evidently, I
1: you know, I took for granted that, you know, I guess not that many people... Can keep going. Well, because like, like sometimes, like the director would just say to me, uh, "Oh, like, like like in this fashion show sequence, the, the main scene was between Jen and her current actor boyfriend, <laughs> you know, and in the background, I was just sort of in the background organizing all the models." And they had just said to me, "Oh, could you just improvise?" Just being your, busy, being busy, and so I. Okay, so so I was doing. I was basically just doing funny face. You know, I was just mm. you, know, you come here, darling. You, you know, do something with your mouth. And oh, you know,
0: bring you, up the hem.
1: <laughs> Thank
0: We've lost you for a moment, darling. Oh, well, oh! Wait, there you're coming back. There you are. Hello. Uh, what, darling? You're back.
1: Are you? Are back? back? Okay. Anyway, so yeah, yes. so 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 I guess not everybody, not everybody, or sometimes the director would just say to me, just oh, when you a- exit, could you just do something? So, okay, so I'd exit, <laughs> and I'd do some kind of Maggie Smith kind of thing, you know. So I guess not everybody. Not everybody could could do that. So I, don't know, but I, I was shocked. I was touched. I thought, wow. I, I thought it was a big old flop. Yeah.
0: And Rocky just said that when you froze, I said, you froze for a second, but he wrote, but what a fabulous freeze. Cause you were like this. <laughs> uh, okay. it was Fabulous. Exactly. Um, Okay. We've run so long. I could, as you know, we could just sit here for hours and hours oh. as we do. You know what people don't know is that, um, is this is exactly what we would be doing in person. We would be sitting in a diner for like three hours. They would look at us like, are these two ever going to leave? Cause we can just talk about these oh, things wow. forever. But this is what I think, you know, my favorite shows have been the ones that are a with people that I already know and love and B where we're just talking. And I said to you before, and I said, we're just gonna keep talking like we're talking backstage.
1: That's and it. Yeah, and what you what you know how to do, you know, I'll, I'll flatter you, is just that you you don't just go with set questions that you're actually listening, you're listening, and then you come up with the next thing to say because you're you're listening. And that's what the <laughs> best interviewers do. And, and it's hard to do it takes takes experience and, and a certain confidence in yourself to and, and an ability to listen. Because you know sometimes I'll do these things where They're they're not listening to the I've answered the question the next question already in my but they started asking me the questions I like already answered that you know because they're they're stuck to their script going
0: to the yeah I had uh, thank you first thank you Uh, when I had Ed Asner on I I I have learned that the best shows are the ones that I end and I think to myself I had an hour's worth of follow ups that I never got to because Mm -hmm. the show you know. I, you and I have talked about this when you write a show and I think doing these shows is the same thing that w- what you think that show is going to be when you go to write it doesn't always become a show becomes what it's meant to become. And <laughs> these shows kind of go the way they're going to go. And um, yeah, you yes. have to trust that it's, you know, the few things that I have written that have been character driven is very often I will write something and I will laugh because I didn't plan for the character to say that, but the, I'm like, I can't believe she said that. Well, I said it, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. When that happens, it's sort of rare and, and when it does. It is. Great. But that's one of those, one of the things that I, that I enjoyed, you know, in doing performing a cabaret act. Cause you know, I Right. Inten- that
0: is a conversation with the audience. Yes.
1: And when I intentionally, um, when I when I put together cabaret act, I don't write I don't write down the whole script. You no, know, and I do a lot of talking. My my shows are at least thirty percent storytelling.
0: Is um, it that much? I guess it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, but I, I you know I, I write my first couple lines so I know where I'm starting, and I and then I write talking points of where, and 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 then I just mm-hmm. I rehearse it in my you know when I take the shower you know I just keep going over the. You know,
0: uh, the so bullet not, points, the transitions. I'm not, ramb- I'm not
1: rambling and then then Tom would give me notes too sometimes I think, oh, it's funnier if you cut that thing and do that. but yeah, but but then, but the, the fact that it's not written down too allows me in perf- in actual performance to veer off it. If I have an audience that's particularly lively, I suddenly come up with another line. you know to, to, I, I you improvise. have
0: that freedom.
1: Yeah, and I and I love that in Cabaret. It's so different from a play, where you, know, you really are fr- frozen. And, and and in a way, I I find when I do um, dramatic material on stage, like the last play I did, The Confession of Lily Dare, got very dramatic in places. It was funny, but also got you know poignant. And and I find it. I'm actually more flexible in the dramatic places, where every night I could do it slightly different because com- comedy playing for me has a certain mathematic quality and
0: rhythm.
1: yes and i guess i'm very kind of old-fashioned that way and but for, for me i can only speak for myself you know i i there's certain rules that i follow that are rather classic of landing a laugh and going down at the end of the sentence and mm-hmm. not taking a breath and various things and uh and when i get that when i get that laugh in a play i tend to keep it the way it is and just try to make it just perform it as good as i can and improve it but i don't necessarily change it that much tinker but,
0: with it right
1: yeah and so there's but with with dramatic scenes i can play it 20 different ways every every night and i, I kind of like that yeah.
0: yeah. And I think that being able to do cabaret is such a specific art that it is really closer to stand up. And um, yeah. and oh, I don't want to say lecturing, because there is more of a give and take. But being exposed as yourself is such a different skill set than acting. I think people assume you can just do that. And there's a lot of people who can't. Well, you have to really, you
1: know, with cabaret, I mean, I... I think you have to find, figure out, you have to really kind of take a clear view of who you are and what you have to offer. And you have to... Speak,
0: and be authentic to that. Yeah, you, know, you
1: have to be like 98% who you really are. The other 2% is that you're theatricalizing it. You know, you're not, they're not, you want to give the illusion that they're in your living room, but it's, you know, it's, it's more, you're on stage. So, but you know, and you've edited out certain elements of your personality that may be a little bit drearier. So, it, but yeah, but you have to really be who you are and you have to sense of know who, what is that product? What is this persona that is who you are and not a fake. I had,
0: face. I had written a joke uh, this past summer mm-hmm. that I thought was so funny, but it was something I could not use. And I'm like, oh, I wish this were my persona because this little bit would be great. But I saw Varla Jean Merman in Provincetown this summer and I realized it was so perfect for her. And I went backstage and I said, I came up with this. And she's like, that would be so funny for me. And I went, it's yours, take it. And she used it and it killed. And I'm like, you know, you write something. As a writer, you know that this is funny, but you also know it's not you.
1: Yeah, there's certain things I've done where I, where I realize it, and I'm not don't get a laugh. That, well, like, well, when I first started doing my plays and from female characters, you know, and this was mid '80s, and oh, there were a couple times I thought, oh, maybe it'd be kind of funny to sort of remind the audience for a second that I'm that I'm a guy and sort of lower my voice, and mm. oh, it just died. And I and I realized for, for me, the audience wants to believe. And they don't want it. It wasn't another performer could get away with that. For me, they don't want. They don't want that. They just want. They buy uh,
0: into the conceit. walking. I am that lady,
1: and just do it well, and don't don't. So yeah, that was that was interesting.
0: Speaking of which, just uh, last thing, because I can't. You and I again, we can do this forever. I, know, no, when, I know. when you and Julie started out doing vampire lesbians, could you have switched characters? No. No. would it just not have worked? No, she couldn't have done that. No,
1: no, no. It was um, Could
0: you have done her role? I I I yes, I
1: could have, but there's still you know, vampire lesbians was such a weird thing, you know. It was just, you know, I, I threw this together for to play for two nights in this bar, you know, in Avenue C. And so I just needed lines to say, you know, I just, <laughs> I, wanted to just I I'd been to this crazy bar art gallery space you know and and i just thought it was so cool that i just wanted to do a show there and i asked the owner if i could if he could give me two nights and he did and then what do i do and i could have done my monologues you no know, but and i don't want to do that i want to be outrageous and decadent i'll do drag i'll write a little play a little skit that i can put friends in so what do i do and you know and i get i it was just elements of things that interested me. Um, oh, I, you know, I, I thought, Oh, I could like maybe, well, and what can we do for zero money? That was the other thing.
0: Yeah, zero.
1: right. Zero. I mean, not $10, zero. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the, what do I have? What do I have in the drag box here? Okay, well, I've got that, uh, that skirt, and I could wrap that around. And, oh, oh, that could be sort of, that could be kind of 1920s. All right, so we'll do a scene set in the 20s. You know, and, and uh, so it kind of came back with characters that I'd already, ha- could, you know, sort of a grand dame of the theater that I'd already played, mm-hmm. that I knew it was just in me, or this virgin sacrifice but that I'll play it like, it's supposed to be ancient Sodom, but I'll play it like a burlesque sketch, because I'm fascinated by Gypsy Lee and, and strippers. And it's that. so
0: interesting juxtaposing that character into that time period.
1: Yeah, so that'd be funny if, if I'm sort of playing, I'm Charles Bush, but I'm playing sort of a burlesque stripper doing a scene where she's playing, the, you know, a virgin. So I'll wear, you know, and I was so thin that, you know, I, I was basically naked. I just...
0: Yeah, a little pasty-ish thing. And of
1: course, well, I had the long wig that's covered my bare <sighs> chest. And then I, I I, was wearing a G-string. I took a piece of of just tool netting and wrapped it around in a big bow to cover my crotch and, but my ass is showing Then I put on sp- spike heels and that was the costume. So I, <laughs> but so I could sort of play it like, you know, Oh, I'm the vir- virgin. Like I'm in this burlesque sketch. So there are all just things that, that you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to be taught. They were just in, in me that I would,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I could do that. I would have entertained my friends with as an improv. And-
0: well, I think that's the best, that's where the best things come from. It's the things that you would do for your friends that would, Make them laugh,
1: yeah. And then, well, Julie, you know, when I didn't write the. She wasn't in it that first weekend. We had another actress, and and then then that we wanted to do a second weekend, and that actress wouldn't do it. <laughs> so yes. I was very desperate, and the last person I could think of was this girl I'd only met a couple of times before, who wasn't an actress who worked on Wall Street, but you know, she she maybe she, would she do it? Didn't matter. So that, that was Julie, and 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 then I started rewriting it more. I got well, we did those couple weekends. Then we were going to do it again, and this time I started thinking about what was funny about her in real life, and, and the way she would talk about her mother from Comac, Long Island, and or or just Julie, in conversation, who's kind of like a demented talk show hostess. Like she, would yes, just, she is. In conversation, she would, she would say, Charles, thoughts and reflections upon the death of Marvin Gaye. You know, just <laughs> and, and she was so funny. So I just started yeah. writing in for that voice, for her to do what I call her her trip, and that's her Comac Long Island lady who can be very grand, you know, and 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 it's also and in yet a way, common, and it's also sort of uh, the precursor to the character, the Linda Lavin character, now just wife, and it's that's certainly. And of if lady. people
0: are interested <laughs> in this, Charles, and Charles wrote a great novel which is called horrors of Lost Atlantis." Here was the my favorite cover of it. Um... And uh, you can get the book, and he really talks about the genesis in you know, a fictionalized way of uh, vampire lesbians of Sodom and how the, the whole thing got started.
1: Yeah, so it's been very. That was another thing that's been hard at this book I'm writing. That's supposed to be my true story because I I had to sort of have told it already in right. fiction form, but very exaggerated and you know fantasy. so
0: funny, such a so, funny. yeah.
1: So it's, So, yeah, no, it's interesting telling it again, but just the truth of it.
0: But warts and all, you know. But, again, you can't help but be amusing, I'm sorry to say.
1: I can go back and even there, I think I can go back and be a little more, just a little tougher, a little tougher.
0: Well, don't take the laughs out, whatever you do.
1: Never do that. (laughs) I I can be a little tougher.
0: Yeah. Charles, I adore you. you know what, I'm thankful for them. Thank you for thankful that we not only got to do this today, but we've done this like four or five times. And uh, you know, reconnecting with people who I I love and admire has really kept my sanity through this pandemic. And so I'm really thankful for that.
1: Well, yes, I just you know I love that we're friends, and uh, we're uh, oh. yeah, yeah, it's just. Yeah. You know, it. and
0: to go back a little throwback to your stories, when you and I first met, to be liked and admired and get a compliment from Charles Bush, like, that's all I wanted. All I, I wanted agree. was somebody for you to say to me, you know, you're so funny and clever. I'm like, that's it. I could retire now. I don't remember how we
1: met, though. Just I,
0: I don't. I think I, you now. I. I th- I know it's been so long. I know. That I've come to see your plays and written about them, but then you also discovered my column and were complimentary yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, so yeah. it it just worked both ways. And uh, like you said, there are people that you you admire that you also just the fact they admire you is enough, and uh, you were yeah, yeah, more yeah, than have enough to
1: work with. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't need to work with
0: them. I just want you just want them to like just
1: like you and think you're. Yeah think you're interesting or talented or whatever, you yeah. know.
0: And certainly I not only like you, I love you. And I think you're so talented. And I'm thankful that I get to call you a friend.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, and I tell you, sometimes on a Monday morning, I just, you know, I'm kind of a little, just, I, I, it sounds kind of, it's, really, it's true. I just really look forward to on Monday mornings, which sometimes Monday mornings can be a little grim, you know. Um, yeah. You know, the, the week starting and for various reasons, you uh, not looking forward to what's going to happen this week. I, I I really look forward to to your, your column on on Monday morning. It's the first thing I do. I wake up, wow. first, get on the computer and see what, what's Billy's outrageous thing is Billy writing about today. Well,
0: can I tell you one of my favorite things is when I get an email from you and you will like quote a line and you said, I just laughed out loud reading that. And I'm like, what more do I need? That just sets my week off in a perfect way.
1: Yeah, and I I, I so look forward to it. Uh, yeah. So.
0: Well, thank, thank you. you. And uh, and thank you for doing this. This was fun. And it just made me feel like a, like a real person for a little part of Thanksgiving.
1: So we've had a nice Thanksgiving after all.
0: We did indeed. Cheers to Charles Bush.
1: Yeah.
0: Where's your glass? Do you have a glass there? There yeah. you go.
1: Okay. Bye bye. Hope the rest and of and
0: one see. for and one for Mahler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, get, I, get Sweet,
0: <laughs> I know me too. Sweetheart, thanks for playing. And um I will talk to I'll talk to you soon, obviously. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, bye honey. Happy Thanksgiving. And thank you everyone for joining me for a little uh surprise. Uh, show that I didn't expect to do from my sumptuous Fort Lauderdale abode. So, you got a little bit hold on, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving without uh playing with my balls. So, um, I'll, t- I'll play with the hairy ones later. Uh, thank you all for watching. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Take care of yourselves. Um, find joy wherever you can, it's out there, even if you've got to uh play with some big balls to have a little joy. And uh, we will be back hopefully next Tuesday, uh, December 1st, with uh, the first Diva of December. Until then, take care, stay safe, and don't forget, this was Billy Masters, and if we're here, we're live. Bye, guys.